Blog Talk Radio. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. Will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. So help me God. Coming at you from New Orleans, Louisiana. To join the conversation, the number is 914-803-4131. That is 914-803-4131. If you are listening live, you can also join us on blogtalkradio.com slash liberaldan. Sign in for your uh, free account with Blog Talk Radio. And you can go to the episode thread, which is called Taser, Taser, Taser today. And you'll be able to join us in the show chat, and you can leave your comments, questions, concerns there, etc. And if you're listening after the live broadcast, you could always uh, leave your comments on the show thread at liberaldan.com, at facebook.com slash liberaldan, or at liberaldanradio on Twitter. Uh, I'm also currently uh, simulcasting at least my part of this over on the, uh, the pre-show on TikTok, which will be ending shortly. Uh, because if you're on the pre-show on TikTok, you won't be able to hear any of the audio clips that I've generated for the show, including uh, Hypocrite of the Week, Words of Redneck Wisdom, the Just Money Minute by Amber Petrovich, or Just Underscore Money One on TikTok. If you haven't followed her, she's an awesome person to follow. But as always, we like to start the show off with this week's headlines. Ooh, I mean, <laughs> Ted Nugent questioned why we were not shut down for COVID 1 through 18. Ted Nugent apparently doesn't have logic, reason, or intelligence in a stranglehold. The CDC and FDA recommended a pause in the Johnson & Johnson COVID vaccine because of apparent clotting that has happened in some cases. Now, the clotting is no worse than in many current medications that are currently fully approved by the FDA, but let's not pay any attention to that man behind the curtain. What's important is we give conservatives plenty of reasons to continue their conspiracy theories. In other health news, the FDA has decided to allow abortion pills to be mailed during the COVID-19 pandemic. No word on if millions of anti-choices have now just gotten aneurysms. In other political news, former Speaker of the House John Boehner has called a full court press on Ted Cruz, saying, I've just decided, screw Ted Cruz. I mean, there's no accounting for taste, and what they do on their time is their business. In other news, another Ted Cruz news, He claims that Americans will die because Joe Biden plans on giving aid to Palestinians. How does that work again? You know what? Boehner is right. Screw Ted Cruz. In world news, Joe Biden is announcing that all U.S. troops will be removed from Afghanistan by September 11th of this year. Whoever applauded Trump for claiming to want a full withdrawal of troops and whoever is now also critical of Biden's announcement 
will clearly be that week's Hypocrite of the Week. Speaking of which... This week's Hypocrites of the Week are conservatives who shouted support the troops when Colin Kaepernick took a knee, but defended police actions against Lieutenant Caron Nazario when they gave him contradictory commands and then pepper-sprayed him for not following them. Seems like it was never about supporting the military after all. Shocking, I know. To see who next week's Hypocrites of the Week will be, tune in to Liberal Dan Radio, talk from the left that's right, Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Central on blogtalkradio.com slash liberaldan. In other world news, Egypt has impounded the ever-given ship for $900 million of compensation for the economic harm that they did during the blockage of the Suez Canal. Looks like I picked the wrong profession. In entertainment news, Will Smith is moving production of Emancipation from Georgia to New Orleans over Georgia's voter disenfranchisement law. It's not the first time Atlanta has lost to New Orleans in recent memory. In other sports news, Julian Edelman has announced his retirement. 50 Bucks says that he ends up in Tampa Bay, too. And finally, Bernie Madoff has died. To cite the late, great Robin Williams, how could you not know what he was going to do with your money? It was literally his last name, Madoff. And that was this week's headlines. So... We got Bringing Boy in the chat. I apparently, potentially have two people from TikTok who are coming over who are going to be uh, joining us in the chat. So I guess they're signing up for their free accounts to be able to participate in the chat. So I welcome that. That should be awesome. Have a more lively debate in the chat. Even though we do have Bringing a Boy in the chat, so shouts out to you, Bringing a Boy. Also want to make sure to give a shout out to uh, the host of the most Nimbus Yosh from the Percy podcast. He has yet to do another podcast since he was hospitalized for COVID-19 and pneumonia. Uh, he is alive and well. Uh, however, uh, it is harder for him to talk for more than 20 minutes at a time, which, you know, is understandable considering he had pneumonia and there was an issue with his lungs. He has to see both a cardiologist and a pole. I forget the other word. I'm blanking on that word. But anyway, he's seeing two doctors over the issues still. Um, dealing with the after effects of his COVID-19 infection. So hopefully he will be back on the radio, on the podcast soon uh, with the Percy podcast, my little brother. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to form Voltron soon at some point. Other part of Voltron is Demonox, X Demonox on Twitter, the host of the world according to Nox. I do want to give a shout out to him, the first Liberal Dan Radio Patreon, and of course, also shouts out to Cesar as well. If you want to support the show um, and can afford to do so, just go to uh, patreon.liberaldan.com or patreon.com slash liberaldan, and either way will get you there, and you can support the show for as little as three bucks a month, or you can even buy advertising for the show and support the show as well. But if you can't support the show, I understand it's during a pandemic. A lot of people are not working uh, or having reduced hours or are struggling, and that's fine. Um, just please remember to just go to liberaldan.com, find all the places where I am online, and then just go subscribe and or follow, whereas the case may be, especially on YouTube. Subscribing to my YouTube channel will be the, the best way to support the show to get me up to the required 1,000 subscribers to get uh, monetized over there. And... It might encourage me to do more videos over there because, hey, that's, that's what I w would love to be able to do and get paid for it. Anyway, 
Now that all the overhead of the show is out of the way, uh, on today's show, we are gonna, going to be talking about a lot of different things. We will be discussing um, the shooting of Dante Wright, uh, which happened very close to the, where the trial of Derek Chauvin was happening for his involvement in the murder of George Floyd. We will also be discussing the uh, interaction uh, with police and Lieutenant Karan Nazario back in December. That has only just recently came to light because the camera, the footage was released. Um, and as the video, as the audio goes on, and I've, I've isolated about 13 of the clips from that audio uh, to be, uh, to go over and parse exactly how it went down, why there was a the problem there specifically and where it got, went from bad to worse, even though Lieutenant Nazario was lucky enough to have made it out of the situation um, with his life. No, and no, bringing a boy, he hasn't been convicted yet. There are murderers who don't get convicted because we, rightly so, have a uh, system of justice in this country that does require a higher burden of proof uh, for the prosecution to make sure that, you know, we don't lock up innocent people. Now, does that actually work? Uh, we still wind up having a lot of people who end up getting railroaded. But theoretically speaking, it's better for a hundred guilty people to go free than one innocent person being locked up. In practice, that hasn't been the best. Uh, we haven't had the best track record. However, um, I believe that with, as we discussed on the show last week, because we were discussing Derek Chauvin and what happened last, as we were discussing, and a lot of the topics that we did talk about uh, last week will come up again this week, simply because of the fact that there are some similar points to be made when it comes to what happened with Lieutenant Karan Nazario. Um, but first, we're about 10 minutes in, so let's go ahead and take the first commercial break. We will come back after that, and we will uh, – that's weird. <laughs> let's see. I'm trying to find the commercial audit. There we, there we go. There it is. So we will come back after the first commercial break. Uh, we will take – your calls as well. You can join us in the chat, 914-803-4131. That is 914-803-4131. This is Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left. That's right. Progressive will do a bad movie trailer guy impression to get you to listen to his show. There's only one thing that I like better than the Liberal Dan Radio minicast. All right, Bill, that's enough of that. On the Liberal Dan Radio minicast, you will hear an honest discussion of the day's issues with some personal bits in between. You might even hear what the other side has to say, sometimes even in their own voices. So become one of the Liberal Dan family. Because family means no one gets left behind or forgotten. To hear those bad impressions and more, tune into the Liberal Day and Radio minicast. Talk from the left, that's right. 
And I think to myself, what a wonderful show. Mmm, yeah. Greetings. This is Nimbus Josh, host of the Percy Podcast. What is the Percy Podcast? <laughs> well, it's pretty much the smoothest talking host you'll ever hear in your life talking about all kinds of things, political things, nerdy things, fun things, not so fun things. Go ahead, give a listen, and follow at the Percy Podcast for more updates and information. Why not sit back and take a listen to one of the best podcasts you'll ever hear and no one else will. (laughs) Catch you on the tune. If you enjoy Liberal Dan Radio, there's many ways that you can support the show. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can like me on Facebook or follow me on Twitter or TikTok. And you can become a Liberal Dan Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can get a shout-out. Higher levels get the opportunity to vote on what I do next on the podcast, the minicast, or on YouTube. You can even buy commercial advertising or sponsor bits. So go to patreon.liberaldan.com and support the show today. Are you planning a trip to Disney soon? Do you want help avoiding spending mistakes and making the most of your vacation? Then check out BudgetEars.com, a new site devoted to helping you get the most mouse for your money. What kinds of tickets should you get? Is the dining plan a good deal for you? Should you stay on grounds or not? Should you buy park hoppers? Many other sites are filled with information about what other people like to do. But BudgetEars is geared to help you make the best decision for you. So check out BudgetEars.com or go to YouTube.com slash BudgetEars and help make your trip the best it can be. BudgetEars.com is not a travel agency and it is not affiliated with the Disney Corporation or any of its holdings. Do you want to set money aside for a rainy day? Do you want to open an account that will give you a savings bonus each month? What if I told you that you can get both and have a chance to win $10 million? Yada is an FDIC-insured bank, and when you go to yada.liberaldan.com, open an account, and make your first deposit, you will get 100 entries into the next weekly drawing. You will also get entries each week you have a balance. So go to yada.liberaldan.com. That's Y-O-T-T-A dot liberaldan dot com. Hey there, podcast listeners. This is Damanach, host of The World According to Knox. It's time for Season 2, where I take you on another trip through my world. The world of movies, video games, pop culture, and more. Relate them to the world around you. Don't forget to leave a question for Marscat and find me on Twitter by the handle xdemonox. That's letter X like X-Men, D-E-M-I-N-O-X. Now enjoy the rest of your podcast. And welcome back to Liberal Dan Radio, Talk from the Left, That's Right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman, coming at you from New Orleans, Louisiana. To join the conversation, it's 914-803-4131. Hey, excuse me, 914-803-4131. And we will be talking about the the, uh, Black Lives Matter, the issues with Lieutenant Karan Nazario, with Dante Wright, with... uh, and, and some of the connections between those issues and the uh, trial of Derek Chauvin. Uh, but first, after the first commercial break, we always play Words of Redneck Wisdom. 
And now, words of redneck wisdom, brought to you by Liberal Dan Radio. Pretty good, Jeff. Glad to be on your show. Welcome aboard. You know, one thing, I can't. I, I've been. I'm 57 years old, and I've never seen this country cuckoo like it is right now. Yeah. Yes. So, and I think what we need to do, we need to start sending busloads of our homeless to that border, so they can take care of them before and go and have them guys not let nobody in until they get taken care of first. We need to start shipping <laughs> busloads of them. I mean, busload after busload after busload. Right. Get them pretty right. thick and tell them, ain't nobody coming across this. Well, I don't care if it's a six-day-old six baby. That baby should stay with his mama. And this concludes Words of Redneck Wisdom, brought to you by Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. I mean, so much for uh, compassionate conservatism, right? I mean, holy moly. Uh, you have this guy who wants to stop six months old, you know, turn back a six month old at the border. If there was a, a child, turn back kids at the border who happened to be alone. You know, the, the conversation at that point turned even more uh, problematic. Uh, you know, they're talking about, you know, about, well, what's a 10 year old or eight year old or six year old doing walking in a desert? Um, unscrupulous coyotes, uh, i.e. the people who uh, bring disreputable people who bring people across the border supposedly safely and then you know they wind up just dumping them apparently as they have you know that's what they're doing <laughs> i knew bringing a boy would love that words of redneck wisdom i knew uh, he goes in the chat was that god speaking love what he said so true so it, it's fine to just turn away kids and and not have them you know taken care of let's let, let them starve and also shove all the homeless people into one area and 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 it's just you know i mean some people are really terrible when it comes to homelessness and not just you know you know there are homeless veterans and not homeless people that are not veterans and people who who really people just tend to not want to think about them except for the fact that they are an eyesore so they don't like to see them but you know maybe you need to see them because you need to be able to deal with them and, 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 and treat them with respect and dignity. If you could just do more, what this person wants to do is take homeless people and, just, and put them out of sight, out of sight, out of mind, I guess, right? So he doesn't want to have to deal with those people. I'm sorry, I should probably say it doesn't want to deal with those people. Um, it's I could just randomly go to that, that show, that, that, that radio show that airs like four hours a day. I could randomly just go to that show and find an example i just go okay let's let's pick this day and then i listen long enough and i find a caller who suits the bill for this bit so i just i don't understand again the same people who would want to deny a baby at the border the same people who would not want to help a kid who is here by himself the same people who would want to ship people who are homeless down to the border are the same people who don't care about their others and don't want to deal about, you know, the virus and, and help others with their, with, with the virus by wearing masks, socially distancing, etc. It's all the same thing, which is again, why I did a show a while back 
where I basically said, look, Barack Obama was wrong. Back in 2004, Barack Obama gave a speech saying about how there's not two Americas, there's one America. And Joe Biden repeated the same thing because it's a call to unity, but we're not united. We are not a United States of America. We are a divided States of America. We are divided. We are a divided people of America because there are two Americas. And, and I went through, you can go back and listen to that show and, I, and it goes over all the different ways where we have at least two Americas in this country. But let's go ahead and let's, let's start talking about, I don't know if I want to handle the Dante Wright issue first or the Quran Nazario part. Let, let's, let's do Quran Nazario first. Let's do those bits. We'll, we'll, we'll play those bits out. Uh, we'll, we'll do the comparisons that when, when, they're, when called for with some of what I said last week. Um, we'll take another commercial break after that. Listen to the Just Money Minute, and then we'll talk about um, Dante, Dante Wright and talk about what, what went on with that and why I don't believe <clears throat> the line or, or what she said, i.e. the title of the episode, Taser, Taser, Taser why I have my problems believing or taking her at her word and the chief, I guess, at his word as to what happened in that circumstance. But first, let's, let's to just give a brief introduction. If you haven't seen this parts of this footage, if you haven't seen parts of it, you, uh, you had a, a person who is a half black, uh, part black, part Hispanic uh, person of color, uh, driving down the road in a SUV with his dog in the back um, in a cage, so not a threat to anybody, gets pulled over, or they attempt to pull him over for having a uh, for not being able to see his license plate because he had a temporary tag. He decided that he was going to dr- continue driving until he could find a more well-lit spot. And here we go. Come around your side. How many occupants are in your vehicle? Open the door slowly and step out. Open the door. Get out the car. Open the door slowly and get out. Get out of the car now! Open the door. Get out of the car. All right. So there's the that is basically the first interaction between the cops at the scene and the driver. Now the only problem with the podcast is you can't see what's going on. You can look up this video on YouTube. You can't see what's going on. What's going on is that the officers had his gun drawn already person already was planning on using deadly force just because the person drove a little too long to get to a lighted area to pull into a lighted area which is safer for everybody it's safer for everybody because if you pull over to the side of a dark road a car could be coming along i mean hopefully they'd see the, the the police lights but it's just safer for everybody so everybody can see what's going on if 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 you're getting pulled over and you don't want police officers to think your hands are doing something bad you want as much light as possible so that they can see exactly what you're doing 
You want, they want, you want to be able to have them see exactly what you're doing. It made the most sense for him to do that. Now, hindsight being 2020, if that was my situation and I was being followed by police with their lights on, I would have called 911 at the time, and I would have said, I'm currently being hailed by police officers with their lights on. It is very dark. I just want you to let the officers know that I am going to try and pull over to a well-lit area for everyone's safety. But that's hindsight being 2020. But I'm also a white guy, so I don't have to worry about this crap. So let's see. Clip number two. Hold, still, hold, 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 hold. Keep your hands outside the window. Keep your hands outside the window. Get out of the car now. Now. Get out of the car now. Okay, and here's the next part of it. What was he supposed to do? What was this individual supposed to do? Was he supposed to keep his hands out the window, or was he supposed to get out the car? They're giving him contradictory instructions, and then yelling at him for not following, for not complying, not obeying their commands. But he can't. You can't both keep your hands out the window while getting out the car. It's physically impossible to do it. You either have your hands stuck out the window or you're getting out of the car. Which one did they want? How would he, How was he supposed to know? If I were him, I would have been confused too. I might have made a snark, snarky comment that says, well, which one do you want me to do? Do you want me to put my hands out the window or do you want me to get out the car? Which one is which? Because I can't tell and I can't do both at the same time. But then again, I'm white, and I could be snarky with cops and not have to worry about, generally speaking, my life being in danger. Clip three. Get out of the car now. Yo, guess what? I'm a veteran, too. I don't know. Babe, get out of the car. Get out of the car now. What's going on? You're fixing to ride the lightning, son. You are fixing to ride the lightning sun. Woo! I mean, granted, fixing to ride the lightning is better than getting shot in the most part. I mean, I guess technically you can die from being tased, but there was nothing that this individual did that required them to be this hostile, to be this angry, to be this escalating if you no, if you followed the george floyd trial this is where we're kind of tying it into george floyd if you're following the george floyd trial there's been a lot of discussions about or i'm sorry the derek chauvin trial if you follow the derek chauvin see i did it again you follow because george floyd shouldn't be on trial but he is because that's how the media does it but it's over the murder of george floyd derek chauvin's trial has a lot of things that they're talking about, and one of them is the fact that the responsibilities of when to escalate and when to de-escalate, and when is it allowed to escalate, when should you escalate, when should you de-escalate. I didn't see any situation in this entire thing, and what we saw is, is their only interactions other than being them following them. There was no reason for them to escalate this. There was no reason for them to make this as difficult as it was for him to obey he he just the, the second cop i think the cop that got fired the one with the mustache i think that's the one that got fired he says he knew when to obey 
because he also served in the military. Well, maybe once you realize that he's in the military, maybe at that point you can tone it down a bit and say, okay, this guy is in, is, is in the military. He's sworn an oath to protect this country. Maybe we can tone it down a bit. Maybe we could be a little nicer and be like, look, this is a misunderstanding. You know, we, we and especially when the, when, the, when the officer saw that he actually did have a license plate, a temporary tag on his vehicle, maybe to, you could also de-escalate the situation. There was many opportunities that these officers had to de-escalate the situation before things, before things happened, but they continued to escalate it. Why? Well, many people say that police officers have a power trip. They are on this power trip that they're either missing some sort of power in their life and this is how they reclaim it, or they're just some people are sociopaths and need to have that power trip. I don't know, but or, and or maybe they're just flat out racist and saw, look, this is a black guy. We don't trust this black guy, so we're going to use our authority to just harass another black person. Clip. And then you, oh, I'm sorry, before we get to clip four, then again, ride the lightning. I said it's another time where, you know, not only was he like, are you, you're about to get tased. No, he didn't say, I'm going to have to tase you if you don't comply. He gives a statement, you're going to, you're about to ride the lightning. Now, I'm looking at this issue as an outside spectator. I've also heard of police officers who call tasing somebody, giving them the chair. So when I heard the idea, ride the lightning, or the comments, ride the lightning, I knew what he meant. I knew that that meant you're about to get tased. But, and he never got tased, to be honest, but he threatened the use of a taser. But he didn't threaten the use of a taser in a clear manner. He didn't say, if you don't comply, I will be forced to use my taser against you. He goes, if you don't comply, you're going to have to ride, you're fixing to ride the lightning. Well, no, you're not giving clear commands for the person to obey, which is again, they shouldn't have to obey, or com, you know, or comply with, if you want to use the term comply. He's this person has been giving a contradictory set of advice, contradictory not advice, contradictory commands to comply with. He's been given contradictory commands plus confusing commands if you're not exactly sure what ride the lightning means. Get out of the car now! Get out of the car now! Get out of the car! Sir, just get out of the car! Work with us and we'll talk to you! Get out of the car! You received an order! Obey it! I'm, I'm, I'm honestly afraid to get out. Can I? Yeah, you, you should be. Get out! What? Get out! Get out of the car! Get out now! I have not... And that's it. Work with us and we'll talk with you. I mean... Where is their proof in that? What evidence is there that does he have, does Lieutenant Nazario have, that these people are willing to have a reasonable, rational conversation if only he would get out the car? The only evidence that – what is bringing a boy right, probably right there and have a 50 for the – what is your obsession with me giving cops 50? I'm not bribing police officers. What is this thing with you that you have bringing a boy with me bribing police officers? see. But there is no reason for Lieutenant, Nazario, for Lieutenant Nazario to believe that if he just worked with them, that they would be rational and reasonable. These officers have shown no possibility or no reason for, for him to believe that they would be rational and reasonable with him if only he would comply 
because all he was doing was sitting peacefully with his hands out the vehicle, questioning what the hell was going on because he was confused. And then he goes, I'm afraid. And instead of maybe saying, oh, the police officer is having a little bit of understanding of, oh, maybe we've escalated this too far to cause somebody who is putting on a uniform to risk his life to protect this country. This person is saying that he is afraid. Well, instead of saying, oh, well, maybe we've taken this too far and maybe now is the appropriate time to de-escalate. Maybe now we should know. They didn't take that opportunity. He goes, you, you should be. Like Yoda, you know, you will be. No, he's, they, they escalated even more. Put, I'm afraid. Their job should have been at that point to say, well, let me calm your fears. There's nothing that's going to happen to you. We are going to put away our guns. We are going to put away our tasers. I'm not going to unholster my pepper spray. Uh, we are going to have a conversation about what is going on and then reassess the situation after the fact. No. He goes, you should be afraid. Is that how police officers are supposed to act? Through fear? This is why people have problems with the police department. Well, it's just the bad ones. Well, here's a bad one. And it took, now this, spoiler alert, one of them was fired. But only after the video got viral, i.e., this whole thing happened. The supervisor knew what, what happened. And only now did this guy get fired for his actions, I say, as a crime at the scene. Clip five. Sir, look, I'm trying to talk get out. To you. Okay. I'm trying to I'm talk talk get to out. Get out of my car. Can you please get out. relax? Can get out. Please relax. Get out of the car right I, now. Now. This is not how you treat a vet. Uh, I'm actively serving this country, and this is how you're going to treat me. Back up, Daniel. I didn't do anything. Back up. Whoa, hold on. Daniel. What's going on? Hold on. I Get out of the car! Get out of the car now! Again, and you have at this point Lieutenant Nazario saying, please relax, please relax. He's trying to calm the situation down. He's trying to do what he he can to help. He, He never at any point is threatening. Well, I guess if you're a racist, you see his dark skin and you see his, and you believe him to be threatening. That's, that's the one problem is that blackness in this country is seen as a reason to be afraid, which is ridiculous. But that's how people are raised. They're raised to believe that blackness is a threat. They're raised to believe that, um, that, you, that you, know, you look at somebody who's black and automatically you get afraid. So that's how these people are raised. And then if you hear, like, he sprays, not one, I think it's spray, I think it's four times that the pepper, pepper spray. And then, immediately after spraying the pepper spray in the guy's eyes, he's like, now get out of the car. I'm like, if you just got pepper sprayed. And later on in the video, in one, one of the other videos, <clears throat> he's talking about, he talks about how he knows what it's like to be sprayed with pepper spray. I think... There, I don't know if this is true with all departments, but I believe that there are some departments where it's like you can't use pepper spray unless you've been sprayed with pepper spray. You can't ha- use a taser unless you've been tased yourself. Now, obviously, you can't go that extra mile and say you can't use a gun unless you've been shot. Um, but 
again, tasers and pepper sprays are supposed to be less lethal forms of force that can be used. So I guess that it's understandable why you wouldn't have the third one for the for for use of gun. I.e., you can't get shot. You can't use a gun unless you're shot yourself. Um, but how is somebody? If, if you sprayed, I, I've never been sprayed with pepper spray, so I can't speak to this personally. But it seems reasonable to me that if you just got sprayed in the eyes with pepper spray, that you're not going to be in the best place to comply with commands because you're going to be too busy dealing with the fact that this thing is burning your eyes now. How are you going to behave normally and rationally after police roll up on you, their guns are out, they're yelling at you, you have no idea what happened, you have no idea, you don't believe you've done anything wrong, you just want answers as to why you're being pulled over. And now they've pepper sprayed you, and you have your eyes are burning. And what? Now you have to get out the car? Don't even mention He's buckled. He has his buckle on. And, and he, after all of this, after the fact that his fear, his pain from burning in his eyes, the terror that he's feeling because here's one officer holding a gun in his arm and is, you know, pointed at him. Another officer is spraying him with pepper spray. They're both yelling at him. One says he's going to ride the lightning. And he had enough wherewithal to handle it. I think it's either in clip six or clip seven. So let's, let's go to clip six. Listen, take off your seatbelt and get out of the car. Look. I'm just gonna just see. You're gonna do what you're told. Get out of the car. Take your seatbelt off and get out of the Take your seatbelt off. Take your seatbelt off and get out of the car. Don't reach in there, Daniel. Don't reach in there. My hands are out. Please. Please. Look. This is really messed up. My dog is in the back. My dog is choking right now. Get out of the car. Take your seatbelt off. Okay. So if, if you if you watch the video, but you can hear it in his voice, you can hear it in his voice. And I'll get to your comment in a second, bringing it fully. You can hear it in his voice that he is terrified right now because now, with with uh, with burnt with the pepper spray burning in his eyes, um, now he is being told to get out the car, but he has his seatbelt on. And he's like, please, I have my hands in the air, please, asking him, the officers, he's asking the officers to remove the seatbelt for him. Now, why would he do that? Why would he have the police officers remove the seatbelt? And, and the one officer looks like he's about to do it. I think the one who's called Daniel was about to go reach in and unlatch the seatbelt. And the other officer tells him, no. Don't do it. Get back. Don't go in there. And this officer tells him that he has to get out and he needs to undo the seatbelt. And again, and I think twi- at least twice, Lieutenant Nazario is like, "Can I, I, my hands are up. Could you please just do it? Be- and why is this? Now, if, if you're a white person who hasn't thought about the disparity in policing, who hasn't been concerned with the idea that you know, police interactions between police and black people are much more dangerous for black people than police interactions with white people and police. Uh, you might not consider this. 
but obviously I've been covering this a while. And as soon as I realized that he was like, undo your seatbelt, I was like, oh, don't do that. Like, if, if this is a, this is like out of a horror movie. Like, if I'm watching a horror movie and there's a guy in a car with his hands up and the police officer is saying, undo your seatbelt and get out your car, I'm like, I'm yelling at the screen, don't you reach for that seatbelt. Because as soon as the person reaches for the seatbelt, this is, this is what was going through, I guarantee you. I would put money on it, dollars to donuts, that this is what was going on in his head. He said, as he thought to himself, as soon as I reach for that seatbelt, they are now going to believe that I'm reaching for something. And then they're going to give me some other command that's contradictory like the other commands they were given. And if, 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 that if he reaches for that seatbelt and unlatches that seatbelt and he does anything that these police officers deem to be wrong, like, if he does it in, the, in not the perfect way, and how are you supposed to unbuckle your seatbelt when you're dealing also with the pain in your eyes of pepper spray? If these police officers deem that he reaches for his seatbelt in some way other than the proper way that they think that he should be doing so, he's putting his life at risk because they then will say, he was reaching for something, and I thought he was reaching for a gun. And use that as a reason, not only as a reason to shoot him, but to get away with shooting him. And this is what the people who are trying to be bootlickers, who are always backing the police no matter what, fail to understand, especially when it comes to interactions between police and people of color, black people, Hispanic people, etc., i.e. non-whites. That's the problem, is that they don't understand that every single move that a black person does while being dealt with as police officers is going to be hyper scrutinized as opposed to, I could probably sit here, um, buckle my belt, whatever, here you go, officer, and they're not going to worry about it because they see my white skin, they're not afraid. Let's see, government use fear on us to make us comply, so why can't the cops use fear? What are you talking about, bringing it, boy? The cop, if it's wrong that the government uses fear on us to make us comply, what are you talking about, COVID? Why can't the cops use fear? No, cops, the cops can use force when necessary. And I went to a citizen's uh, police academy before in the city of Kenner. And they went through force escalation techniques and, and how to like, climb that ladder. And so you, these people should have never had their guns drawn. Never should not have had their guns drawn, and they should and they should always be trying to de-escalate. You can use force, you shouldn't use fear. Let's see. Sounds like you'd rather have the um, cops pull the pit maneuver on the driver, draw their weapons, and start shooting the driver. Plant what? I don't know what you're talking about with that. Um, let's see. It, bringing up boys says it can happen to any of us. You should just carry some milk with you in case you get peppered. No. And, and, and one of the things I didn't think about, because they were at a BP, as soon as the situation was over, they should have gone into the BP, and they should have gotten the milk, and they should have brought out the milk to use it to help deal with the pepper spray. But it, why should I carry a, a, a thing of milk in my vehicle that could go bad on the off chance that somebody might pepper spray me? That's just ridiculous. 
Uh, so he can grab grab it. Now, look, I understand. He, bringing a boy, I'm sure this is a response to the the helping me get this the my seatbelt off. And I'm sure, and bringing a boy, I'm sure this so he can grab the cop and slam his head against the steering wheel, put the car in gear, and drag a cop down the road. No, obviously that's that's probably one of the reasons why the other cop said don't help him take the take his belt off because for that very reason. And I understand that. And I was going to get to that point as well. And, and I neglected to. So thank you for bringing that up. It was probably the, the cop's best interest to not do that. But at this point, it had, but, but you have to understand that in the mind of the person who's being detained, who has guns and pepper spray and other weapons of violence that the police officers use, this guy's terrified out of his mind, but he still knows, he still knows that if he makes one wrong move, that it could be his last move. And it's not one wrong move in the eyes of legitimacy and reasonableness. It's one wrong move in the eyes of a black-fearing cop, of a racist cop, of somebody who looks at this person being black and sees the blackness as a threat to any people's safety and, and uses that unjustifiable fear to escalate force when no force escalation is needed. When – I'll ask bringing a boy as I play these clips. Um, did you, have you seen the video of this, of Lieutenant Nazario, A? And B, do you believe that the force used, that the, that the use of force that these police officers used, especially the pulling of the guns early, was that called for, or should they have not, should they have potentially kept a safe distance while asking him to roll down the window, while asking, telling him, do you understand why we're pulling over you, pulling you over? Why have the gun drawn immediately? And, and the police officer will get to that as to his explanation after the fact, but explanations after the fact are often full of crap. The car. Take your seatbelt off and get out of the car. You made this way more difficult than it had to be. You just complied. Get out of the car. I'm reaching for my seatbelt. Fine. Take your seatbelt off and get out of the car. Straight onto the ground. Straight onto the ground. And you hear that? He said, I'm reaching for my seatbelt. So he's again, he's, he's having to dictate everything that he's doing to this officer to make sure that this officer knows that he, what he, that, that he, the specific actions that he's doing. And that's something that a white person probably would not have to do as a general rule. Are white people, white people do it? Would I do it? Probably just because I wouldn't want to play games. But also what the other cops, what the cops said was that the, the cop is telling him that he made this if he would have just complied, he, but he didn't comply, so therefore he's making the situation harder than it needs to be. No, that's not the case at all. What happened was the officers made this more difficult than what it needed to be because the officers are the ones who are in control of the situation. The officers are the ones who, have the, who, have, who are supposed to have the training and have the responsibility to keep this situation a safe one for everyone involved, the officers should have used the training that they got to de to, to only escalate where appropriate and de-escalate where appropriate. And there are many opportunities, there are many examples here of when they use too much force and too much fear and too much threats 
And there are other clear examples here where they had opportunities to de-escalate, where Lieutenant Navario, him, Nazario himself gave opportunities to de-escalate. But look, just calm down. Let's, let's, let's all calm down. Let's all calm down. He's, he's talking in quiet. He's not yelling at the cops. He's not showing any signs of aggression. He's only showing signs of fear. He's only showing signs of fear, but he's trying to, he's trying to be as, as calm and rational as possible as one can be when guns are drawn on them. But guess what? That wasn't good enough for the cops. So the cops continued to escalate it. I'm surprised Lieutenant Nazario didn't end up dead. Frankly, I'm just, I'm surprised he didn't end up dead. And a lot of people are probably, well, he should be glad he didn't end up dead. Well, he, sh- he, shouldn't have have, he shouldn't have had to deal with this situation in the first place. That's what I'm saying. They are a little carried away. <laughs> okay. If you're saying that they're a little carried away, boy, you don't agree with me. Because I don't think they're a little carried away. They're a lot carried away. They, my point is it doesn't matter what, what culture you are, but if you are, I'm going to paraphrase what he says, an undocumented immigrant, you get a free pass. No, nobody should get a free pass when it comes to threats. No, but there are people – let's not talk about people who are here undocumented. I don't want to get sidetracked with comments, comments, with discussions on people who are here, A, people who are here in violation of our immigration laws, or B, people who are here because they're claiming asylum, which are two different sets of people, even though people on the right want to shove them all into one group. Now, are there people who are here who are just claiming asylum – who don't have the right to claim asylum, probably. But again, you don't have to have, you, you don't have to prove that you have the right to claim asylum to claim asylum. You can come into this country and claim asylum, and then deal with the with the process of claiming asylum, and then be dealt with if you don't have the right to ask for it. See, that's that's how it's supposed to work. But you know. Anyway, clip eight. Is your commanding officer down? Let's go. Really messed up. Okay, so again, he then asked. He uh, Lieutenant Nazario does what he should have done. What what everything should, he asked for the commanding officer because he believed that he was being not being treated fairly. But the officers continue to force him down on the ground, threaten to use pepper spray again. And you're a black man in America getting pulled over for what you perceive as a BS reason and having guns drawn on you for a BS reason, being pepper sprayed for a BS reason, being yelled at for not f- complying with contradictory uh, statements for BS reasons. And you're now being told in America to be go down on the ground and lay on the ground while we in this country are dealing with the murder trial 
of Derek Chauvin where a black man died because a he was forced to the ground and had a knee then put on his neck. If I'm a black person living in America, the last place I want to be is underneath police officers on the concrete. So I would be terrified. Again, I would be thinking that this is this is thinking, and, and I don't say this as somebody who knows about this. I'm just saying this. I'm just amplifying the words that other people say, that other people have told me as people who are black living in this country. And I'm sure if I could get my little brother, the host of the Most Nimbus Yosh from the Percy Podcast on this show, if he was healthy enough to come on and have this conversation, I'm sure he would agree with me that the thoughts that were likely going through Lieutenant Nazario's head were likely that of, I could die today. I am going to die simply for being black in this country and having an interaction with police officers. That's what was going through his head. So I will, I, again, dollars to donuts. If I, if I had the opportunity to interview Lieutenant Nazario, I would probably, and if I asked him what was going through your head when they were forcing you to the ground, it would probably be something to the effect of, I felt that this, that these are going to be my last minutes on earth, that I was going to, that I potentially could be dying right now. And if that, if you're having those thoughts, you're not going to be likely to comply. You're likely to freeze up and you're going to fight back. You're, you're in your, your, your inner, your instincts is going to be just a, Oh, I'm not, I don't want to go to the ground because I don't want to be dead. And if I go to the ground, I'm going to be dead. What state is that? I don't know what state. I forget the state that. Let's see. Um, Mario. Good week. I'll look this up while I'm playing the next clip. Hold on. We'll play clip nine. All right, Mr. Nazario. So, back. let's go all the way back to square one, okay? I turned around on you at food line. I actually came out of cost plus. And I came up behind you. I saw you before you turned. And you had no tag displayed. I, I see it, but... Per the law, it has to be in the license plate bracket. I understand it's paper, and I understand why it's there. Yes. But at that time, I had no idea. I didn't know that you had a vehicle registration until I approached your car. And at that point, I was too busy dealing with you to deal with the tag. You want me to wipe your eyes? Okay. So, look, all this was going to be was, hey, man, I stopped you. You didn't have a tag. You got your driver's license. I'd have ran you, and you'd have been on your way. Okay. Well, what would have been a two-minute traffic stop turned into all this? <laughs> Here's the thing with that. Again, they're putting the blame on him, that he is the one to blame. He was the one to blame for escalating the situation. All you had to do was comply. Well, all he was doing was trying to find a nice, well-lit place so that this interaction could take place not in the dark. Why, would it, why is that viewed as a bad thing? It shouldn't be viewed. And there's a reason here. We'll get to the 13th clip. We're going to get to the 13th clip, and the 13th clip is going to, you're going to just want to blow, your your head's going to just go. But to answer, uh, bringing a boy says Minnesota. It wasn't Minnesota that this happened in. Karan Nazario happened in Virginia. It was Virginia police that pepper sprayed uh, Karan Nazario. It was not. Minnesota. Minnesota, Minnesota 
with Dante Wright. Dante, the Dante Wright shooting and killing took place in Minnesota, close to the courthouse. But here, according to this article that I found, you know, where, where I found out, um, you know, that it was Virginia police, it was Windsor, Virginia, the police are in Windsor, Virginia, um, that this person, Lieutenant Nazario, knew Eric Garner. He knew Eric Garner. He said that Eric Garner, according to Raquel Nazario, Carson's wife, Eric Garner's is Eric Garner's cousin. Garner was like an uncle to Nazario. So, so not only does Lieutenant Coronel Nazario live as a black man in America, just generally speaking, and have to deal with that. Somebody who had a relationship, who's, he knew Eric Garner. So he knew somebody who died at the hands of police. He referred to him as an uncle. And now he's being pulled over by the police, having, you know, he, no matter, no wonder he's even more frightened. He's probably even more frightened than a general black, average black person might be. Maybe. And I'm saying that from point of privilege because I'm sure there are probably black people right now listening to the show going, like, we, they're probably saying, we all know somebody who got treated like this. And so, so I'll probably just have to do a mea culpa. You're welcome to, to, to tweet at me or whatever and say, and just say, we all know somebody who has been treated like this from the police officers. It's not, and that's why all of us are scared. So, you know, I, I, I just, you know, think, taking time to think about it for more than two seconds, it's more likely than not that somebody having a police interaction with a police officer that goes bad likely already knows somebody who had a bad police interaction and therefore maybe not got killed by, but got railroaded by, got mistreated by, and they've probably been mistreated by police other times as well. Because there's things, you know, driving while black, etc. Is this the same one or is this the next one? As I was telling him, you know, I've pulled over to well-lit areas before, and I've never looked out the window and saw a gun so, blazing so, immediately. So, so, the, so the reason we did that is because we followed you for a mile and a half with lights and sirens on, and you didn't pull over. I understand you want to get to a well-lit area. A, le- a well-lit area. I get that. But when we follow you that long, look at look at the climate this day, and, and against everybody, against us, against y'all. You know what I mean? Yes. I'm not out to hurt you, and I know you don't want to hurt me. That's not what it's about. What it's about is making sure that everybody goes home at the end of the day. So when you don't stop and you continue to proceed, our suspicions are raised. What's going on in the car? What don't he want us to see? So you pull into here, and if you would have just complied with the simple commands that we were giving you originally, it would have been done and over with, and you would have got back on your car, and you'd be gone by now. If you were to just comply, again, as I said, why would he believe that simple compliance would have left, led to a good, just outcome? Why would he believe that? It doesn't make any sense that he would believe that. Because they come out with, again, as Lieutenant Nazario said, guns were drawn. They're aiming guns at his car. 
for no reason, no good reason, other than the reason is because here's a black man driving with, I guess, tinted win- windows. The, the windows were tinted enough so that you could not see in them in the dark to see the temporary tag because they're saying, well, the temporary tag should have been, you know, in the in the holster, but no temporary tag ever goes in the in the where where the license plate goes. Everyone tapes them in because they're paper, and it's bad weather, and that's where they go. It's ridiculous, but it's a reason to pull somebody over who's black, because the cops love to have reasons to pull people. It's one of the reasons why Louisiana made not wearing a seatbelt a primary violation, so they could just claim that somebody wasn't wearing a seatbelt for pulling as the reason. Oh, I'm sorry. You were wearing your seatbelt. I I thought you weren't wearing a seatbelt. That's why I pulled you over. Driving while black is not a crime. It shouldn't be a crime in this country, but it is treated as such. And the tinted windows rules are vary from state to state. It's ridiculous. But again, if you're not doing anything wrong, your window tint shouldn't be a cause. Again, and I think window tint is another one of those things where it's like, hmm, we're going to make window tint in this jurisdiction a crime if you're not, if, because we don't like the fact that maybe black people might be driving cars with tinted windows. So therefore, it gives us another reason to pull somebody over and give a ridiculous ticket. Do you, do you, Joe Biden, why, why is it EOJ? Is there a reason you're spelling Joe Biden backwards? Um, Joe Biden wants Jim Crow. No, Joe Biden doesn't want Jim Crow laws. Joe Biden is pointing out that Georgia is implementing Jim Crow type law, laws. But here's the thing. What do you believe that these, as a conservative bringing it, boy, you're a conservative. Do you think that tinted window laws are something that's a good thing that we should have that and should be enforced? Or should individuals be able to tint their windows what they want to, how they want to tint them? It, like, what rational purpose does government have to control the level of tint on your windshield? I mean, it seems to me that that's potential government overreach. But and I'm not saying that you're like this, bringing a boy. But there are a lot of conservatives who like to make the argument that government overreaches, except for when the government overreaches when it comes to black people. And caller, I see you're on hold. I do want to get through these first clips first. And then we have, we have three more clips. And one of, this one's a little longer. We have three more clips, and I'll get to you after the, after the third clip. So let's go ahead and play. This is the clip that enrages me the most up there. I don't know if it's the most because he shouldn't have been pepper sprayed. He shouldn't have been pulled over in the first place. But this is, I think, ultimately what gets the cops in trouble because they're not just messing with a black guy now. Now they're messing with somebody's military career. And I really want to hear your, your responses on this one, bringing a boy. Hi, how you guys doing, Kevin? Better. And I keep calling you a tenth. I told you I'm a veteran. I respect rank, okay? I was a, I was a corporal in the Marine Corps. I respect rank. However, I do have a job to do, okay? I just talked about chief of police. You asked for a superior? He's off, obviously, right now. Saturday, I called him. He came out. talked. Here's how he... What I was thinking, I told him what I wanted to do. He said, that's no problem. 
two ways we can handle this. We can either sit here with you until you get your eyes back where you can see, and I mean at a good distance, you're safe to drive, okay? And you're going down the road. Go do your deployment. Go continue serving my country, which I respect and I thank you for, okay? Or we can push the issue, write you tickets for no uh, license plate displayed and for resisting or not resisting, obstruction of justice. I don't even need to go that route because that route makes the Army get involved, and I know how they are. The, uh, you don't know this. The Army, he'll, he'll vouch for it because um, he's been in and he's got friends that are legal officers. I know. The military is the only place where, the military is the only place where double jeopardy exists legally. Because whenever we do them, we do them, the Army can turn around and jam for the same thing. I don't want to see that happen. You're obviously a second lieutenant. You ain't been in very long. But if you plan on making a, a career or even six years or whatever, it's up to you. I don't care. There's no need getting this on your record. I don't want your record. However, it's how it's up to you. If you want to fight it and argue, I mean, and I don't mean disrespectfully, okay? I mean, you have that right as a citizen. If that's what you want, we'll charge you. Have you go to court, notify the command, do all that, or we could take, the, take time out of our night, which is not a problem. We get, we're, on the, we're being paid to take care of people, okay? We'll sit here with you, get your eyes back. You and, uh, what's your dog's name? Smoke. Smoke? Bad at me from bad at smoke. Um, you and Smoke can get on down the road, okay? Entirely up to you. What do you want to do? So here's the thing with that. Now, I'm sure there are some people who might listen to that and be like, that's a reasonable thing to do. He's giving him an option to either, you know, get the ticket or leave. And obviously he's going to choose the leave option, right? But no, that's not what he's doing here. That's not what the police officer is doing here. The police officer is saying that if he continues to push the, tr- the poor treatment, that if he makes an issue of how he was mistreated by these police officers, i.e., by wanting to speak to a supervisor, by wanting to escalate his complaint, which is what in the middle of that clip, he says, you're, it's your citizen, you have the right to do it. He, he it says, you, you, as, you as a citizen have the right to do it. But if you do that, we are going to write you these tickets for obstructing and for obstructing justice and for the, the tag thing. And then that's going to hurt your military career. So he's, that's the threat. That's another threat that he's using to cover his own ass. He is using this person's military career. He's somebody who he claims to respect rank. He claims to have respect for individuals who serve this country. But he doesn't. If he would have, he would have de-escalated at the beginning. He might have seen, the, oh, those are, that, that's a military uniform that this person is wearing. Let's hold back. Let's lower our guns. Let's, let me respect his rank and give him the respect of the rank that he deserves, according to this person who claims to, res- to respect ranks. Let's do that. Let's make sure that you know, we give him an opportunity to, to, to now explain himself because ob- this guy respects rank, right? No, he doesn't respect rank. He's only saying that to try and weasel out of the complaint that he knew would be coming. And he uses the threat of writing a ticket of obstruction of justice that might harm this guy's military career to get him to not push the complaint against these officers. Because his boss probably said, 
you need to make this go away. This is going to blow up in our faces, and we need to make sure that this goes hush-hush. So we need to get this to go away. And to this officer's, to this lieutenant's credit, he did not make it go away because a complaint was filed. Now we're seeing these video, the, the, the video from the body cameras. We are now seeing how these officers mistreated this individual. And area code 909, if you do want to talk, hit one, uh, because I do have another caller on the phone who does want to talk. So let me, um, so if you do want to, there you go. Perfect. Thank you. We'll get to you first, then we'll get to 314. Um, But I mean, he used this guy's military career and threatened his career just to force the guy to shut up, to force Nazario to shut up. And that's just terrible. To bringing a boy, he says, and since he is a culture of a darkish complexion, he will win big time for his lighter complexion. We have to thank cops for writing the ticket and say sorry for making your job hard. I mean, I think you say writing the ticket. Like, no, like, but we don't have, we, we're, we're not getting pepper sprayed bringing a boy. That's the thing. We're not, we're not getting out there getting mistreated. But as as this individual did on average, clip twelve. Got two more clips. It doesn't change my life one way or the way. You see what I'm saying? It's not about me. This is about you. What you want to do? As it, if, if you want to just chill, let this go, and no charges filed. We'll take the handcuffs off. We'll get your bottle of water to drink on, and sit here until you feel comfortable driving. All right? Mm-hmm. Or the other option is. We write the summons, discharge you, have to, and we, by then we have no choice. We have to notify your command. Again, I've got, I don't have to be an ass. I don't have to be threatening. Uh, I say that because that's just the way it is. Okay? I just talked to my boss. Those are the two choices that he gave. He is being an ass, though. He is being threatening. He's threatening the guy's career. And look, He's saying, look, if you agree that you're not going to push this, we'll then take your cuffs off. We'll then get you some water. You should have already gotten him some water. They should have already gotten him some milk to put in his eyes, as bringing a boy, he said. Well, he said that the driver should have had the milk, but, you know, they, uh, you, you know you, they should have been dealing with that already. That should have done been happening with. But, no, you're, may, you're saying that unless he agrees to not push this issue, that unless he agrees to not push this issue, that you're going to keep him in cuffs and not get him the water? That's some bull. That's some bull right there. Last clip. It doesn't change my life one way or the way. You see what I'm saying? It's not about me. This is about you. What you want to do. If you want to just chill, let this go, That's not and clip. no charges filed, <laughs> we'll take the handcuffs off, we'll get your bottle of water to drink That's on, and sit right here until you feel comfortable driving. All right? Mm-hmm. Or... All right, let's go ahead. We'll go ahead and take our first call as I try and upload the 13th clip. I believe this is also my friend from California. Am I right? Yes, it is. Hello. Good evening. Hello. Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm okay. You know, it's Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. How are you? Oh, I'm hanging in there. I got a, you know, I'm a, I'm, let's see, I'm about a week into the new job almost now, so I'm good. How's that going? <laughs> It's going pretty well. I, I'm thinking I'm liking it. I like the I like the culture of the new company, and uh, 
we're, we're, we're easing ourselves in, but it's, it's nice to have a little bit of stability in my life. And, and they're letting me work from home, so that's, that's also awesome. So <laughs> You can't beat that. Nope. <laughs> so I agree with you. I think that this officer or cop, I don't know what you want to call him, because he totally, how I would put it is he abused the badge and the authority that was granted to him under color of law. So, right. in other words, he violated the oath that he swore to uphold and protect and stomped all over this person's civil rights as a human being. Now, the initial traffic stop, though, being that it was dark, he had to go to drive to a lighted area um, if he had tinted windows. So, the officer can't see clearly for if he's driving from behind, especially if it's dark, what color skin the person has until after they've made the initial stop and, and, you know, walk up to the car in this case, um, had the driver get out of the car. So it wasn't a black thing um, or, you know, I don't I believe a race thing initially. Um, I think that after he... Well, I mean, the, 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 rear, the, the rear windows were darker tinted. The front windows were not. The, the okay. front windows didn't have a darker tint. The back window did, as far as from what I could see. I mean, your windshield's always going to have... A, a light, is always going to be more lightly tinted. So, and, and I think, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think we ever got a shot of, of, the, of the driver and passenger side wind, windows in the front, but I, th- I think it was okay. the issue of the not being able to see in the rear windshield, to see, to see through the rear windshield of the SUV to be able to see the, um, watch, to be able to see the, the, um, watch, the, the, the tag. Now, and I think, and if I mm-hmm. had to guess, one of the reasons he might have had such dark window tint is because he he kept his dog in a cage in the back of his vehicle and it probably wouldn't because it's usually harder to get the air back there it probably makes it much much more cool uh for his pet prerogative that's Um, prerogative as an american i think that's bs we have those tinted laws here in california and and they're stupid Uh, they also have laws that say you can't have your vehicle lower than so many inches and it's like look if it's it's my car i bought it and if I want to bottom it out, you know, coming out of a driveway, then that's my business. If I want to have right. tinted windows and however dark I want to have them, that's my business. You know, movie stars and, and, and dignitaries or, or dignitaries and, um, you know, our, our politicians, they have dark, dark, dark tinted windows, you know, and that's for their security and safety. Hey, maybe that's what I want for my windows too, security and safety. It's none of their business. You know, that's, those, that's ours. That's, we should be able to decide. So that's bullshit as far as those tinted windows laws. But, again, I go back to the initial stop. You know, if you're driving in a car and you're behind somebody, unless you're at a stoplight where it's a little bit lighted up, it's hard to see the driver because it's dark inside of their car, even in the, in the side mirrors. Um, and if you're on a dark road, so you can't really see who you're pulling over or, or you know, the sex or, or person, gender, whatever, color, skin. In the vehicle, if you're coming up behind him, now I don't know the situation, so as far as um, I don't want to overspeak because I don't know if he passed by the officer and then the officer came up behind him or if the officer was you know, already just driving and kind of came up behind him, never saw him from the side. Um, so I don't know, you know how that goes. If that's what happened as far as he drove past him so he was able to see through the front windshield, um, then totally you know, as far as the race thing. The only reason why I say I don't think it is is because um, and after he found out that he was black and that he overstepped his bounds, he had that oh shit moment, pardon my language, 
And that's why he started covering his ass as far as turning it around to intimidate the man. Well, there was, there was a, a long time that took place between – there was about a good eight minutes of, of the confrontation between the point where, the, where, the, where they stop at the BP because they were at a BP. So they stop at the uh-huh. BP. It's well lit. Um, the officer gives the order to put the hands out the window, at which point he complies mm-hmm. uh, eventually, and he mm-hmm. does put his hands out the window. Um, I don't know mm-hmm. why I'm, I'm, I'm moving my hands as if you could see me, but you can't. Uh, so uh, I, I talk with my hands a lot, so it just has, tends to happen that way. But he puts the sand out the window. At that point, you could probably see complexion. Um, and then you know, his window's down. You could probably see the reflection in, in the uh, driver's side rearview mirror. Um, he's also, you know, kind of sticking his head out a little bit to ask what's going on. So, so there's, there's a good eight minutes. Then, and then, at, but there's eight minutes of that confrontation before he eventually gets pulled out of the vehicle um, once the he removes his own safety belt, safety belt. But there was, you know, I think by the time the the I by the time that the guns were drawn, I want to say that they probably knew what the individual looked like. Um, but even then, but even if even if it, even if race didn't come into play, and a lot of people are going to say that it does, but even if race didn't come into play, there was no reason to have guns drawn at the, at the cuz that first clip that I played with like get out of the vehicle you know you know put your hands out the window oh, yeah. put your hands out the window that first clip there was no reason yeah. for for them to have guns drawn at that point and, and with you on that and it was it was it had to do with the license plate for Christ's sake you know i mean and you're going to pull guns for a pullover just because he drove a mile and a half to find a lighted area, even if he did drive two miles and had his right. blinker on the whole time to indicate he was going to pull over, oh, so <laughs> that's going to warrant um, drawing guns? I mean, come and on. He, and they called it in as a felony traffic stop. It was called in <laughs> to, to, to dispatch as a felony traffic stop. It wasn't even just as a traffic stop, but a felony traffic stop to, I guess, justify yeah. what was going on. Um, let yeah, exactly. Anyway, I don't want to take you time. Put, okay, well, I'll put you out. Let me put you back on listen, and I'll get to the other caller before I go to commercial break, and because I do want to get to the other, um, the other uh, topic, which is uh, what happened to Dante Wright. But let me go to the other caller real quick. Okay, I believe it should be being a little slow, but hey there, how's it going? What's going on? I, now, I'm a black native-born, natural-born African-American. So I think okay. I can speak like this. And I agree with the last call of the lady. I don't think, I don't see where race could have played into it. And uh, I can understand that they had paper plates behind the glass. Out on the dark road, you probably couldn't see the plates. Right. Now, the guy that was trying to do the pleading, the, the older officer, he was totally out of place. Mm-hmm. He's an a-hole as far as I'm concerned. The right. young kid didn't really know what to do. Now, what I would have done if I was a driver, and the, young, and the, young, t- and the younger cop, if I may interrupt for a second, the younger cop was the one who had the gun drawn immediately, and I think the older one pulled out. I, the one who did the yeah, pepper spray was the older one. The, young, the younger one, he was clearly like, I mean, you could see fear in his eyes. I mean, I don't know if this person had any adequate training whatsoever when it came to policing, but go ahead. Yeah, point? I agree with you. Now, this is what I would have done. This is what I tell my children and young people. Turn your interior lights on and let your window, all the windows down. The car is dark. If you had turned the interior lights on, then the younger guy could have seen that it was nobody else in 
the back. That would have lowered the level of fear. Now, as far as everything else is, is going on, the, the lieutenant's got a right to sue. Matter of fact, I would have told him to get me an ambulance since she broke my leg kicking it. But uh, the older guy, he needs to he he needs to have the hammer dropped on him. He's totally out of place. Then to be on recording, uh, saying what he said in order to cover his butt, that just goes to show you that yes, you do have stupid people on these police departments. But on the other hand, you have individuals that suspect that do some stupid things too, like you're getting ready to go to Minneapolis. So. Uh, I don't know. Well, yeah, there are there are people that do stupid things. I guarantee you. there are there are stupid criminals. I mean, there there's a whole show based on world's dumbest criminals, and there are some dumb criminals. Uh, but the, and the problem cops. here is that yeah, there are some there's some bad bad cops, and those mm-hmm. there's the bad but there are the bad cops that do the bad things. Clearly, yeah, like do. And you know another that, thing too. Like, like I get former, tired of hearing. Uh-huh. I get tired of hearing this. Not to cut you off. I get tired of hearing people say this don't happen to whites because it does happen to whites. It's the narratives that the news wants to carry. And before you go, this was in Virginia. The newscaster came on and said this, that Governor Northrop, a Democratic governor, wants the highway patrol to do a, 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 a inspection. Why would he have to mention the governor's political affiliation. You follow me? I don't know. I, I haven't seen that portion of it, so I can't necessarily speak to that. <laughs> but what I can say, no, bad things do happen to white people from cops. But but what what but people tend to talk when it comes to averages. Like I I, I got pulled over by police. I think I talked about this one on a previous show. But I got pulled over by the police one day. We were we were picking up a bunch of furniture from my from my wife's aunt's house in Mississippi. Uh-huh. We're bringing it back to New Orleans. Uh, for months, there was this intersection that was the lights were not working properly, where it was constantly a flashing red light, which means stop. So we come over the hump on, from getting off the interstate. We're coming down the hump, and we see a green light. And everybody, me, my wife, my mother-in-law, we're like, oh, my God. This, this light is, is, is working, finally, after months. So we go through the green light. And all of a sudden, boom. Okay, so we get pulled over. So we get pulled over. And I ask the officer, I'm like, excuse me, officer, may I ask you what the problem is? And the officer is like, you ran a flashing red light back there. And I was like, oh, my God, we did not. It was green. We can go back there. Let's go back. And I was yelling. I was. I immediately got pissed off over this fact that I'm getting pulled over for ridic- for for a BS reason. Now, that could I have done that if I was a black person and not gotten um, not gotten in trouble? Maybe, but the odds are that most likely it wouldn't have happened that way. That the odds are that I probably wouldn't have even thought that I could act that way if I was an individual who happened to have darker skin color. Um, now, the one thing that the, the one clip that I apparently don't have because I messed up with my copying and pasting uh, when I was uploading these audio clips from the video uh, is that at the very end of the audio, the, the, I think the, it's the, the older one, the, the cop that got fired, um, the cop that needs to have the hammer dropped on him, 
um, he goes, he, he, at the end, he at the end says that he understands why he'd want to go to a, a more well-lit spot about, I uh, have a, you're not the first. Yeah, person he said that. Yes. Mm-hmm. You're not the first person to have done it. And of all the people that do it, 80% of the people are minorities. I'm like, well, then why are you making such a big deal of it now? Why is why did you just why did y'all decide to make this pulling over of the, this person wanted to do it a big deal if it's not the first time it's happened if it's happened and if it's happened all this these times previously you should then be used to the fact that oh this well, guy must well, be well not only that not only that but the cameras work better in light than they do out on a dark road the cameras are not right. only for the protection of the suspect but also for the protection of the police officer too exactly. it's just ridiculous as, as i said earlier on in the show what what, what lieutenant navario did nazario i'm sorry lieutenant nazario did by pulling into a light space he not only protected himself he protected the officers as well absolutely the only other thing he could have done was turn the dome lights interior lights on in the vehicle and let the windows down I want to. Right. Can I comment on the Minnesota? The the Dante right? Oh, you need to or, go to break. Ford. I don't Not need George to go Ford. to break. I don't need to go to break. On this, but, I on, mean, on this uh, where the lady uh, was, we should have used a taser, but she pulled her weapon. Now, right. This is the thing on that too. I believe in cause and effect. The gentleman I believe had a warrant for him, and they stopped him because of his uh, air freshener which was hanging off of, I guess, hanging off a rearview mirror. Now, that is a citation in many states because it does obstruct views. But here's the thing. If he had went on and complied to be handcuffed, then the next step with him getting back in the car where he eventually got shot never would have happened. Now, I'm not giving no excuses. I'm just trying to put emphasis on that people have to learn to respect authority and comply when asked to. You can't have court on the streets. Hey, uh, let, let's. I, I appreciate. It. Let, let, let me go ahead. Let's go ahead and take the the, the first commercial, the next commercial break. Let's go ahead and do that. Um, I'm going to put you on hold for a second. Uh, I'm going to play the taser, taser, taser after the break, and we will come back and, and maybe I'll bring it back on after because I have a couple of points that I want to make about that as well. Um, so you can hang on. I'll make my points and I'll bring back come back to the calls if y'all want to stay on. Again, this is uh, Liberal Day and Radio. Talk from the left. That's right. gone mad. One progressive will do a bad movie trailer guy impression to get you to listen to his show. There's only one thing that I like better than the Liberal Dan Radio minicast. Alright, Bill, that's enough of that. On the Liberal Dan Radio minicast, you will hear an honest discussion of the day's issues with some personal bits in between. You might even hear what the other side has to say. Sometimes even in their own voices. So become one of the Liberal Dan family. Because family means no one gets left behind or forgotten. To hear those bad impressions and more, tune into the Liberal Day and Radio minicast. Talk from the left, that's right. And I think to myself, what a wonderful show. Mmm, yeah. 
Greetings. This is Nimbus Josh, host of the Percy Podcast. What is the Percy Podcast? <laughs> well, it's pretty much the smoothest talking host you'll ever hear in your life talking about all kinds of things. Political things, nerdy things, fun things, not so fun things. Go ahead, give a listen, and follow at the Percy Podcast for more updates and information. Why not sit back and take a listen to one of the best podcasts you'll ever hear and no one else will. <laughs> Catch you on the tune. If you enjoy Liberal Dan Radio, there's many ways that you can support the show. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can like me on Facebook or follow me on Twitter or TikTok. And you can become a Liberal Dan Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can get a shout-out. Higher levels get the opportunity to vote on what I do next on the podcast, the minicast, or on YouTube. You can even buy commercial advertising or sponsor bits. So go to patreon.liberaldan.com and support the show today. Are you planning a trip to Disney soon? Do you want help avoiding spending mistakes and making the most of your vacation? Then check out budgeteers.com, a new site devoted to helping you get the most mouse for your money. What kinds of tickets should you get? Is the dining plan a good deal for you? Should you stay on grounds or not? Should you buy park hoppers? Many other sites are filled with information about what other people like to do. But Budget Ears is geared to help you make the best decision for you. So check out BudgetEars.com or go to YouTube.com slash BudgetEars and help make your trip the best it can be. BudgetEars.com is not a travel agency and it is not affiliated with the Disney Corporation or any of its holdings. Do you want to set money aside for a rainy day? Do you want to open an account that will give you a savings bonus each month? What if I told you that you can get both and have a chance to win $10 million? Yada is an FDIC-insured bank, and when you go to yada.liberaldan.com, open an account, and make your first deposit, you will get 100 entries into the next weekly drawing. You will also get entries each week you have a balance. So go to yada.liberaldan.com. That's Y-O-T-T-A dot liberaldan.com. Hey there, podcast listeners. This is Deminox, host of The World According to Knox. It's time for Season 2, where I take you on another trip through my world. The world of movies, video games, pop culture, and more. Relate them to the world around you. Don't forget to leave a question for Marscat, and find me on Twitter by the handle xdeminox. Letter X like X-Men, D-E-M-I-N-O-X. Now enjoy the rest of your podcast. And welcome back to Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. Again, this is your host, Dan Zimmerman, coming at you from New Orleans, Louisiana. To join the conversation, it's area code 914-803-4131. 914-803-4131. Now, I think I need to chop up the commercial break into two separate breaks and make them shorter. And maybe what I'll do is have one commercial break be, you know, have some of the commercials and have the other commercial break include the Just Money Minute, and that way I have two commercial breaks. And they're not having to sit through a five-minute-long commercial, which I think uh, I've gotten a little annoyed with from this show. I hope the listeners don't get annoyed with it either. But that's, that's maybe, hopefully, I'll be able to do it by next week. Anyway, but speaking of the Just Money Minute, I do want to give uh, Amber her shout-out uh, for producing these every week. They're awesome. And just to help you with uh, some minor investment device, again, remember, Liberal Dan Radio is not 
Uh, we're not an, a specifically an investment show, and you should always make the uh, and talk to advise your financial advisor to see if any moves that you want to make are right for you and your portfolio. This is Amber Petrovich, a.k.a. Just Money, talking investing in the Just Money Minute. Not even the Kraken could take down the crypto empire that has imploded on planet Earth. Side note, Kraken is an excellent cryptocurrency exchange, so is Binance.us, and of course, the talk of the market, Coinbase. So what's crypto's dirty little secret, like something that could potentially tank this investing vehicle giant we all love so much? No, it's not that terrorists and drug lords are using it for money laundering, but that's a big concern for politicians these days. Crypto's dirty little secret is that mining it is destroying the environment. Sounds dramatic, but consider that Bitcoin mining alone consumes more energy than all of Argentina. To change this, we need proof-of-stake instead of a proof-of-work blockchain system. Now, there are proof-of-stake cryptos already, Ripple, Cardano, and Stellar, to name a few. Ultimately, crypto and blockchain are ingenious inventions that could lead to a decentralized future, but we need regulators enabling growth in a responsible way. This has been the Just Money Minute. Build wealth and fight the wealth gap. And I have heard that before about how much energy it does take to currently mine for crypto coins. So there is that. So again, if you're going to start mining for crypto coins, also maybe consider what the costs are going to be for you to do so. Are you really going to get yourself a crypto coin that is now worth, what, 60000 last time I checked? I was shocked that crypto coin was at 13000 last year. Had I just bought one of those coins, I would have made bank. Uh, I mean, come on. It's just, that's my, my thing with investing is that I tend to not I've, – I've not made some of the decisions that I should have made. And had I, got, had I made them when I should have made them, I would have – I'd be rolling in it at the moment. But I'm not, unfortunately. I did not ride the GME train right. Anyway, um, so let's, uh, let's talk about this, uh, the shooting of, of Dante Wright. And we're going to play the audio from it, and then we're going we're gonna to touch on a couple of points. And, and if the callers want to, I mean, continue on, I, I will get back to you all if you want to continue to stay on. So there's that. So let's hear the, the – the audio of the okay so so here's the situation this is a police officer that has years of experience under her belt so she's not a rookie she's not a newbie by any stretch of the imagination not only that this person is somebody who is a trainer. She trains other police officers or trained, I should say, because she's no longer on the force because she retired. She resigned. And then now she's of course being charged with secondary manslaughter, which maybe might get elevated up to something higher if they, in their investigations find, or it's the charge, those charges are warranted. But there's a couple of things here. Um, where the fact that, you know, when did he start fighting? And our caller uh, stated that, you know, if, if, if you would just comply and not make it like a, a brawl on the street or whatever, that he wouldn't have ended up getting shot. And maybe, maybe not. I don't know if there's any way that we could absolutely know that for, for sure. We might think it's more, likely than not that it would happen, but we've seen people get shot by police 
without giving any opportunity to, without them being given any opportunity to comply. And it did look like, as I'm watching the video, before she approaches, it looked like he was complying. He had his hands behind his back. He, he was about to get the cuffs get put on when she also approached. And then she put her hands on him, too. Now you have two police. That's escalation right there. We talked about in the last segment about uh, how the police officers escalated issues. There didn't seem to be a reason for a second pair of hands to be put on the individual. It was just one pair of hands, and he, he seemed to have the situation well in hand. Now, would Dante Wright have tried to escape the hold had she not added her hands to the situation? I don't know. But more cops' hands on you could, at this point, and, and you know, if, if we're living in this country, have a, a second person putting their hands on you while you're being detained by officers seems to me to be an escalation that, uh-oh, this is going to be more than just a cuffing. This is now going to be something else. So I now need to run away. I now need to try to get away. So she then yells out, I'm going to tase you. I'm going to tase you. Then she goes, taser, taser, taser. Now, I'm sure the argument, well, why did she yell taser, taser, taser? I'm sure... Um, I'm sure maybe that's a situation where, you know, you want the officers to be clear, other officers to be clear when you're about to use the taser, because if they're touching the person you're tasing, they could also get shocked. So maybe that's the case. But here's why I have a problem with, with that. Here's why I have a problem with the the excuse and how the the police officer or I think it was the chief of police came on in the press conference afterwards and said, we believe that she was trying to tase this person and just grabbed the wrong thing, grabbed the gun instead of the taser. Now, police officers, you know, should be trained, especially ones who do the train. I mean, there is a saying, those who can't teach. I, if you can't, act, you teach the acting class. If you can't write, you teach the writing class. Although that's not true because I know a writer who does write and who also teaches the writing class. Uh, if you can't, you know, hit, be a hitting coach. That, you know, you know, you might know the, 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 the way to, to hit, you might know, know how to hit the ball and how to teach people to hit the ball, but you can't hit people, you can't hit the baseball yourself. If you knew how to hit the baseball yourself, you'd be doing it instead of teaching it. So that those who can't teach. So maybe that's another situation with this is she doesn't know how to to properly, but she's teaching it anyway. But here's the thing. We've seen she should have given the suspect a three Mississippi count before drawing a weapon if the suspect decides to flee or shock. I mean, she did say, I'm going to tase you. I'm going to tase you. I, I will give that, bringing it for you. Um, and no, it's not racist for me to be Satch, to imitate Satchmo in a commercial. Uh, just because I do a good Satchmo imitation doesn't mean it's racist. <laughs> um, just appreciate the fact that I can sing Wonderful World. Um, so here's the thing. We had situations where there was this video 
uh, where I think it was New Jersey police officers. A New Jersey police officer was struggling, supposedly struggling, with somebody in the front seat of a vehicle. And he was shouting the words, stop grabbing for my gun, stop grabbing for my gun, stop grabbing for my gun. And because that, and he claimed that he was gra- grabbing for the gun, so that was, that was the charge that was going to get placed on this individual, was that he was reaching for the police officer's gun. Fortunately for this person, and unfortunately for the police officer, a second police car came forward, and that dash cam filmed the altercation, filmed him yelling, stop reaching for my gun, and there was clear video evidence that he was not reaching for the gun. So this caused me to believe, and I've said this on the podcast before as well, that there must be some sort of underground, unofficial training that is done amongst police officers, where police officers are told when you're struggling with with somebody who you're trying to arrest, you yell at them, stop resisting, stop resisting, stop resisting, or stop grabbing for my gun. It doesn't matter that they're not grabbing for your gun. You yell, stop resisting. You yell, stop grabbing for my gun. You yell those things for the benefit of the camera. So just in case you happen to have an accident and shoot somebody, it gives you plausible deniability. So you're, you're then protecting yourself by yelling these things. It has since been confirmed to me, I think by one caller who called into the show, who is a former police officer, by somebody else who was also a police officer who told me that that is how things at least used to be done, that that is instructions that police officers were given by other police officers as unofficial training, that, that you are supposed to yell those things, not because they're real, but because it's a way to help you avoid criminal charges in the future by making sure that you give the jury enough plausible deniability, enough reasonable doubt, or enough doubt so that it's not reasonable, I should say, to convict you. So what, what does this have to do with taser, taser, taser? By yelling taser, 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 she is trying to give herself enough plausible deniability so that if she grabs for the wrong thing, or maybe she grabbed for the right thing, you don't know. We don't know if it was a purely a mistake or that she called taser, 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 despite the fact that she grabbed for her gun and then discharged her service weapon into Dante Wright, killing him. But by yelling taser, 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 she now has the ability to say in court, I really thought I was grabbing for my taser. That is why I yelled it. And despite the fact that she should have known that her service weapon was in the right hand, that her taser was in the left, and she should know which side it's on. She should know what one feels like versus what the other feels like, what one looks like versus what the other looks like. If you watch the video of the Virginia police, the Virginia police officer says, I, when he says that he's going to make him ride the lightning, that police officer had a taser in his hand. Now, his taser looks much more similar to a regular service weapon, but he, you could see that it was a taser and not his gun. But this officer, former officer, I should say now, 
by yelling tase. That's why I don't. That's why I don't believe it because I don't, I don't believe I don't give her the benefit of the doubt when it comes to what she yelled because of my being aware that police are trained and were trained for years to yell things specifically so that they can't get railroaded in court or not railroaded in court, can't be convicted in court. That they, and if she's somebody who's done training for 20-something years, I would bet that, sh- that she's somebody who potentially could have been telling these things to recruits, to trainees in an off-the-record type of way. Hey, if you're reaching for your taser or if you're, or if you're reaching for whatever, just yell taser, taser, taser that you're about to taser somebody. So even if you happen to grab your gun, it can make people think that you're grabbing for your taser and as such, you won't get in trouble or you'll be less likely to get in trouble. So anyway... Those are some of the points that I've made. Let's uh, bring back our second caller first. Um, what what do you what, what are your opinions on 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 what I've had to say on on that? Well, apparently there are things that go on in agencies that's off the books. I'm not, right. No one is probably not disputing that. It probably goes on in any case. But I'm saying this, the lady said that she'd done it accidentally, and I have to believe her. Because if she wanted to shoot the man, when he was standing upside the car, she could have shot him then. And you know, it's a funny thing. I was just looking at some videos, which I've known about before, of police officers shooting themselves. One with the DEA was in front of a classroom in a school, and he shot himself in the foot while talking to the students. Then he went on with the talk and he was getting ready to reach for another gun and all the kids jumped up and ran out the classroom. <laughs> <laughs> and there's several other. And the funny thing, all these cops are black. Nobody mentioned anything about that so far. I ain't saying they every case they are, but the three that I see, the one on the elevator and another female who shot herself, well, they African Americans. So I'm sure some news hosts will want to pose a narrative and try to make something out of this. But uh, well, I mean, I well, I mean, if, if you if you want the joke, the, the obvious joke is well, clearly police or police officers are trained to be so racist that black officers will shoot themselves. That's the joke. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> now you're in New Orleans, right? Yes. Well, you know, in in Baton Rouge, you've had a case of three police officers being shot by black males. One case, you had uh, a man travel from Kansas or Missouri left notes that he was going to kill some police officers in Baton Rouge. He ambushed two, stood over one, and pumped, 43, pumped about 43 bullets in him. And mm-hmm. when the police caught him, they didn't kill him. Another case in Baton Rouge where a cop was stopped at the red light, a car pulled up behind him, the driver got up, came around, and shot him in the head. They caught him. They didn't kill him. So the narrative out there is that when blacks do something, that whites do, they get killed and the whites don't. Well, that's just not true. And when people are saying those things, just like you want to have these, uh, you want to have these moments amongst uh, these ethical and moral moments to come across people that when you're in a group of your friends and somebody say a racist joke or say something that's depictable, you're supposed to check them. Well, in these cases, when people are saying that blacks 
uh, are, are killed whenever they do something like that, whites or not, then they need to be checked also because it's putting a feeling in people's minds, actually, that can be detrimental. And, you know, you, why would you tell your child that police are bad and you can get shot by them? Now, what happens when a child needs to go to the police? Well, they're not going to go. Well, what's that? But here's the thing. Here's the thing that's sad about that is that, well, A, I'll do it the second point first and then the first point second. The second point first. My my youngest son happened to see one of the examples on the news where the police officer, I forget which incident it was, but it was one where they saw a police officer and, and they shot the person. And then... The, the kid first said, yeah, at, at eight years old, or maybe he was seven at the time, he was like, he, he knew that that was wrong and that the police officer should be arrested for that. So he could see that the police acts, that, that the actions the police took were, were bad. So if, if the children are seeing police officers acting badly, then is it, is it the fault of the parents for, for letting them, you know, for, for I mean, I, 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 my mom always taught me to uh, you know, to be respectful of police officers, to to you know, but not, but don't talk. She was like, don't say anything. Be respectful, but then ask to speak to me or ask to speak to a lawyer. You know, she was she was she was very careful. Like, look, you know, she said, follow their comply with their instructions, but they're not your friend neither. And because she's a social worker, she's seen some of the things that police officers do to try and trick people into admitting things either that they did do or that they didn't do. Um, so she's been there and she's seen it. But, you know, I'm also aware that, that many um, parents who happen to be black uh, will have the talk with their kids about police interactions and, and how they should, you know, have to, how they have to do extra things above and beyond what perhaps white folks have to do. And, and look, and I'm going to tell my kids the same thing, you know, that they need to be respectful of police officers, that they should speak to a police officer if they're lost or in trouble, but also that that doesn't mean that they need to tell them everything in the world, that they just need to ask for their parents and let that be the end of it. Um, now, the, uh, the first point, I'm, I'm, I'm now, what was the first point again that I, that I needed to go back to? Uh, <laughs> well, you got to lapse of memory. Let me, while you regain that point, let me make mention of some other things too. Okay. And you know, the, 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 the popular... Oh, wait, 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 wait. wait, wait. You know, I, I, I got ahead. it. So it's the whole... It's the whole Yes, there, you can clearly show examples where a black person who is clearly guilty of something gets taken into custody without getting killed. And you can clearly show examples of white people when white people do nothing wrong and they also get, you know, the one got shot in the hotel room, one got shot by the gas station. You know, there are examples of white people getting mistreated by the police and black people, you know, being treated as the police should treat them, you know, and, and or even nicer than the police should do. The thing is, is that I, I talked about this on last show as well, uh, is, is that it's not about, you know, examples where you could show that it, that it doesn't happen in the, in the way that the, quote, narrative is presenting it. It's the fact that the narrative is, is based off of statistics and based off of, you know, odds, where if it's more likely that, again, the one I cite most often is that if you're a black person who's unarmed in this country and in a police interaction you are three and a half times more likely to be shot unarmed by police than a white person who is unarmed. 
because, you know, because of how, you know, the, the number of black people that are shot who are unarmed versus the number of white people that are well, shot you know that are what? unarmed. You know and how then, you derive it, those consi- numbers. And then, take, wait, and then take into consideration the mm-hmm. uh, population densities of each group. So if you're a member of that population, you are, you, are, you are 3.5 times more likely as a black person to be shot in this country while unarmed than a white person is to be shot. So well, that's, why, that's why the narrative exists, because the numbers are there to say that it is much more da- – that police interactions with – between police and black people are much more likely to be deadly than they are between police and white people. Well, it depends on how they the, – the interaction that they have. I walked up to police officers. They wanted to ask me a question about a building, which was my house. When I got up to him, I said, uh, sir, I'm carrying a weapon. He said, that's all right. I wish more people like you did. So I didn't get shot. So Okay. But again, you, you're, an example, you're an individual example of somebody that doesn't disprove the other statistics. No, it doesn't. Like, you know, I know Ferguson, Missouri very well. You know right. why come the you know why come there's so many uh statistics showing the uh, the victims of police shooting being black because you're talking about a community that's about ninety nine percent black in that area, and also the traffic people that drive through there are black, so quite natural when you have traffic violations and you know here's another thing when the police I think stop this is, a car these are statistics. They're not community well, statistics. These are nationwide statistics. I can't, I can't do that on a nation because blacks are concentrating in some area. Uh, 37% of the population in Mississippi is black. 32% in Georgia is black. So you, it's, that's, that's kind of comparing eggs and apples. I mean, but still, it's a general thing. But then there are a lot of populations that are white. And the white populations, you're, going to be, if you're, you're less likely to be shot by the cops if you're not armed. If you're white, and you're, you're more likely to be shot by the police if you're unarmed, if you're black, and that's just the that's the nationwide statistic. It doesn't matter that maybe Wyoming doesn't have many black people in it, but they're still as a, as a, as a nationwide average, you're still more likely to be. And and yeah, there are going to be times when when white people get mistreated, and it's and it sucks. And the the first people to speak out about it are usually the Black Lives Matter folks. So. Um, well, yeah, they just as wrong as anything else. But there's no national rule on how police are supposed to act. Police employees are the community employer is the community that they, that they work for. That's the employer. And Ferguson was seventy sixty seven percent uh, black when Mike Brown got killed, and the police force was uh, out of fifty three or fifty two officers, only two was black. Well, the people could have changed it whenever they got ready. Apparently, the blacks in their community, who were the majority, wanted tough policing in order to protect their interests. Being that they left crime-ridden North St. Louis in the 60s to move out to the outskirts of St. Louis City, which would have been Ferguson and some other municipalities, well, they was trying to flee crime. And, people and don't talk about that. And, and it's understandable that people want to flee crime. But even then, like, but then the people are like, well, now we're in the suburbs, and now our suburbs are being invaded by the racists would say by people that we don't that we originally moved away from and now they're the now quote those people as the racists would say are following so then we need to be more tough on quote those people because we don't want to quote those people in our neighborhoods just like you know when donald trump was talking about how he wanted to um prevent all of these these housing rules that would allow um 
you know, people to move in from, you know, in, into our suburbs, you know, when he spoke in code and everybody knew what he was talking about, but nobody on the right wanted to admit that that's what he was talking about. You know, he didn't want to well, I know those housing codes very well. Blacks put those housing codes in place, too. Blacks fled Ferguson at the 2014. They left their area and they went further into areas like Florissant and uh you know, there's an area in uh, right outside of Ferguson, about maybe three or four miles, called Barrington Down, majority black. Average house is about 750 or into the millions. They practically drew a line down the middle of Vale Avenue in Halls Ferry and told the Black Lives Matter and the marches and protests, you do not come over here. Blacks fled D.C. Now you think Maryland became what it is. So people don't talk that blacks flee crime that's being perpetrated by blacks themselves. And I'm a black man. I know this. Okay. I mean, people are, people are going to flee crime regardless of people are going to flee crime. But we, that still doesn't end the fact that we still have policies in this country that help per, to perpetuate those, you know, poverty in areas between, you know, we we could have a whole show on issues like redlining and all other types of actions that the red, place that the redlining up. is good. Redlining is good. Yes, redlining right. tells you where not to live, where not to go, put your kids in school, and where not to operate your motor vehicle. Insurance company, all state, state farm does the same thing. If you live in this area, you're gonna pay more for your car insurance. School reports. If your children go to schools in this area, like St. Louis Public School and some of the surrounding areas, you know, the academic performance is the, is deplorable. It's not the kids. It's because that's the way the people let it do. They hired a superintendent in Normandy School District, which is next to Ferguson, outside St. Louis. They're not even certified to be a superintendent. So what do you expect? So, yes, redlining well, but, but, is good. But, but, but redlining initially caused much of those problems to begin with because they didn't want to – they, they, they said they, they would not fund areas in those neighborhoods, so those, they kept those neighborhoods poor when you have who poor is, neighborhoods. Who is they would not fund? St. Louis has been Democratic for 72 years. Thanks. 72 years. Okay, but, but it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not the government that's drawing these red lines. It's the financial institutions that are drawing these red lines. And, and when it's you based have, on, it's and based and on the average rent. income in the area. You think and, just because a bank is black, they're going to uh, – a bank is black that you would be to walk into a black bank and get a loan where you couldn't get a white loan presenting the same criteria. Now, granted, there may be a case or two, but a black bank is not going to lend toxic loans no more with a white bank or a Hispanic or an Eskimo bank. Right, but how many how many how many opportunities have um, black owned banks have? How many chances have have black owned banks have the opportunity to to grow and prosper? In, as opposed to banks owned by, by white people. How many times, you know, let's look at Black Wall Street, what happened there. You know, you had a, you had a thriving financial district in Tulsa that was, that was going to be a, an opportunity for, for black people to be prosperous. And the racists bombed it because they didn't want to see black people prospering. They didn't want to allow that to happen. They wanted People who are racist, people who want to, um, who consider themselves white supremacists, people who want to uphold white supremacy, want to make sure that there is a class of people below them so they don't have to feel. Well, let me ask you a question. What 
what do you call it when blacks do the same thing? There's areas in North St. Louis County that through politics, they try to uh, steer and herd uh, people from certain socioeconomic classes into those areas, knowing that they cannot comply with paying for your own trash, no working on cars in your front yard, not on the street. They can't. So it causes the neighborhood to go down. It causes the property values to go down. It causes a, a, it causes the same effect in your schools. So is that not destroying something that was stable? Even well, though I mean, it was majority black, but when you bring people into the area who happens to be black, these things happen. Now, I don't have anything wrong. I don't see anything wrong for people trying to better themselves, but you cannot mix people into a economic area where they cannot sustain that area themselves once they live there. They can't do it. And it's really, it's a tragic. But some of these policies is pushing these things. Like they don't want us, blacks overwhelmingly in a 70% style, say they want school choice with vouchers where they can put their child in the, in the educational environment that they think is best for their long-term educational plans for their children. Guess who's against them? It's these liberal organizations, NAACP, your teachers union, NEA and AFT. Come on. Well, have, have these people who want vouchers and who want school, so-called school choice, are these people who have experienced it, or are these people who, who believe that this is the only way to deal with uh, the, the, the school systems that they're currently in? I think that they understand enough that what they have is not working. And there's all sorts of data that show it's not working. Look at Baltimore schools. 3,800 students graduating in high school, only 18 of them can uh, pass the math text proficiency. Do you think that's something that people really want to live around? Wait, only 18 or only 18%? 18. I don't believe that. <laughs> Why do, I, there, Sarah, I don't, I don't have, believe, listen, I don't wait a minute. That's, I don't believe that that's, that's, a, that's the typical that's, response. That's the well, typical well, response, well, you know, but you that's, know why what, that's what the you know story tells. Let me tell you why I don't believe that. I went to high school in Baltimore City Public School. I went to Baltimore Polytechnic Institute, which is a math and science high school. In order to graduate from poly, you need to be able to pass calculus. And there are more than 18 people who graduate from poly every year. So that's why I'm disbelieving the fact that the Baltimore City Public Schools only graduate 18%, 18 people. No, I said only 18 could could pass the math test proficiently. Right. And that's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that I don't believe that because if it's it's not 18%, if it's 18 whole on people, there are – there's the it, it, in poly there was the A class and then there was the B class they had advanced than the normal but everybody at poly you know was was already had to be proficient in math and science in order to be getting in there and you still have to take the certain classes the A class had four grades had four levels in it um, D1 D2 D3 D4 each class has probably about 18 to 25 people in it so let's say there's about 100 people in those classes and then maybe about another another 100 to 200 people in the, in the B-level classes, the non-advanced preparatory course. So you have about three, 200, two to 300 people who are graduating, all of which, in order to do so, would have to pass um, a, a proficiency in math. So that's why, I'm, that's why I'm saying I don't believe that. If you, were to, if you were to say it was 18%, maybe at that point I would believe you, simply because of the fact that that would be maybe more likely. I've seen other schools in Baltimore City that are probably failures, sure. Um, 
So, but I, but I'm, I'm telling you, I went to Baltimore City Public Schools, and I went to a school, I went to a high school that was part of the Baltimore City Public School system, and I don't. That's why I don't believe the 18, the number eight, that there's only 18 people who could pass a math proficiency test. I, I, All right, I, here's I, a I, story. I would, I, I, now, you, I would welcome you to email me liberaldanradio at gmail.com um, with whatever links that you that, that that gave you that number. And I would look at it and see. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But the reason I don't believe it is because I came from it. And so I could have, and I know plenty of people who I graduated with who were smarter well, than me. Well, actually, it's worse than what I said. It's actually worse than what I said. And here's the story, Wednesday, November the 8th, 2017. It's Fox 45 News. And it's 13 Baltimore WBFF? City High School. Right, WBFF, right? WBFF 45? Is that what it says on the Yeah, on the, on the well, I think okay. Fox News and 45 in between the two words. It's right, a, but, yeah, but, WBFF. But I wanted to say WBFF to show I know what I'm talking about. That, that, yeah, that's okay, well, we give, well, yeah, no problem. Yeah, right. but it, it's worse than what I said. It says 13 Baltimore City High Schools, zero students proficient in math. Zero students proficient in math. Okay. In the All area right. I was so, telling you about, uh, Hazelwood School District, you got Hazelwood East. Central and West. Now, West is further out of West County where you had a diverse population. Whites are starting to move. Blacks are starting to move. Hazelwood West, their math proficiency for that school district is 24%. That's totally unacceptable. All right. But, but, but saying that I, I would believe that there are, that you have a number of schools where people might not have been able to pass the proficiency test, but you said 18 students overall. And I, I just corrected. I just corrected. It says right. zero here on this story. Well, zero at 12 schools, not in the entire school district. So well, they're talking about high schools, aren't they? Uh, right. Yeah, they're right. talking about high, high schools. Right, right. But, but there are more than 12 high I'm, I'm sure they're, they're selectively leaving out particular schools that, again, don't, play, don't, don't feed the narrative. Yeah, there are schools that are struggling. There are schools in New Orleans that were struggling, too. Uh, New Orleans, after Hurricane Katrina, uh, they, the people who are – pushing for so-called school choice uh, where people who were uh, who, who saw New Orleans as an opportunity to try and implement school choice. And we don't have school choice in New Orleans, even though they claim to have school choice. We don't have school choice. We have a lottery. We have to jump through hoops and, and, and try and get well, all states are different. And there's 20 schools here starting with achievement of the cavity, Carver, vocation, Copeland, Excel, Forest Park, the reach high schools will uh, ben Franklin, Digital Harbor, so it's twenty schools actually. Mm-hmm. But, but, but here's that's the thing. new. Then people are going to say as well as the money. Well, it's not true. Uh, newspaper article, St. Louis Post Dispatch talked about how school districts spend money. You look at how they're spending. You got black school districts that actually have more money per child than pr- their counterparts, which is majority white. But the thing is, is that, is that it's, it's a logical fallacy to say that just because that something is broken, that I know that, that, that that's why you need this specific thing. So the idea that, that you're going to fix the problem with, with so-called school choice, you know, that, that's, that, that's No, that's, it's that's, not that you're going to fix the problem. It's what parents want. Let the okay. parents have what they want. You know, another case in Kansas City, Missouri, during the mm-hmm. DSEG. D.C. Judge Russell Clark sat down with the activists 
and say, how do we turn these scores around? What is it that you need? It was 33,000 students in the district. The activists say, well, we need a billion dollars. Russell Clark said, I'll give you $2 billion. That equates to about $67,000 a year per student. That's Harvard money. I'm not making this stuff up. No, I'm not going to be the one that says you have to throw money at a problem. You have to throw, you have to, you have to spend the money smartly and wisely. Problem, a lot of the problems with these charter schools or the, these that so-called give you quote school choice is that is that they end up not having much oversight when it comes to you know auditing purposes. So you can't see where the money is going. Um, well, that's not true. That, that's not true because the the when you started now, I don't know how it is in Louisiana. As a matter of fact, I'm. I live right outside I'm, I'm of Baton I mean, I, I can only speak to what I've experienced. I can only speak yeah, I to what I've Right. That's so, what so, I so try it, to do, it, too. It's my, it's my understanding, it's, it's, from my experience, is trying to navigate with two students who are in elementary school uh, currently. And, and we, we, we have to navigate this system. And we have to, you know, in order to get the first one into the school that we wanted him to get him into, we had, he had to take a test to show that he was language ready because uh, it was an immersion school. So he was going to learn spanish mm-hmm. and english um he, he had there was no there was no way that we could plan for or study for this test it was just he had to take it and there was no no way for us to check that this test was done accurately or properly or whatever we just had to trust that it was the case uh there were other there were other schools who took advantage of the system um by by uh what they wound up doing is in, in this so-called school choice system is they had uh, Pre-K-4. Pre-K-4 is not universal here in uh, the state of Louisiana. So you, you, if you, unless you have a specific situation, i.e. if you have an IEP or if you have a free and reduced lunch, and it's not, you don't always have to get free and reduced lunch, unless you're those classes, you have to pay for pre-K-4. So these places in these uptown neighborhoods like Audubon Charter School and other charter schools of the such, uh, they had these pre-K-4 classes that people paid to get in. And then they automatically moved them up from PK4 to kindergarten. So when it came time for the lottery to have to be held um, for the 60 some odd seats that they might have had in for kindergarten, only two seats were available because everyone, everyone else had already paid to get into pre-K4 and then elevate themselves to kindergarten. So then what you wound up having is a de facto private school by anybody who could afford to afford to send their kids to pre-K4 and then only one or two people got to get in if they were lucky enough to get a slot in the lottery. Now, so there's nothing wrong people, with that, is it? There's absolutely everything wrong with it because if, you, if you're supposed to have school choice, that's not school choice. That's only school choice based on your ability to pay. If you well, can't that's going to exist you, anyway. If you can't that's afford to exist if you, anyway. But if it's a public school, you're supp- it's supposed to be attended to by the public, accessible to anybody in the public, well, right? Well, charter schools are public schools. You know, right, my grandson is going to school here at your flags. Your flags. Let, let, let me finish the point though. It's a publicly funded school that only that the only people that were allowed to go to that school were people who could afford to pay the private tuition for kid for for pre K four, and if, well, so therefore you, you're you're denying you mean, uh, private uh, pre K is private is that what you're saying the pre-k4 had the pre-k4 assessed a fee you had to pay money to go to pre-k4 and then once you were in pre-k4 
you would then be elevated to kindergarten. So you didn't have to fill out the whole one out. You didn't have to fill out your application. You didn't have to go through the lottery. You automatically got it, got included so that everybody in the city who couldn't afford to send their kids to pre-K four because they couldn't afford the rates therefore did not have access to the school that everybody in the city was supposed to have access to. Via this well, lottery. they chose to get in. That's the way it is. Uh, but, as I was saying, but, but, my grandson. Happened, but, but let me finish what happened. What happened then was that you had was that the school board and the state cracked down on them and said, "No, this is not what you should be doing. This is not okay because you're violating the the spirit of how charters are supposed to work." And there's these all of the charter schools in the city are supposed to be accessible to everybody in the school. So then they changed the rules. But if you agree, agree then you put okay. So then, so then what they did was they said, for every pre-K-4 class you have, you have to have two kindergarten classes. So you could still elevate the people from pre-K-4. So you're still giving the people who are attending that pre-K-4, who can afford to pay that pre-K-4, an unfair advantage based on the rest of the – so you, you've created a system that was supposed to be to the benefit of all of the students in the, in the district by using so-called competition to be able to, you know – choose the best schools and then have all of the, 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 the kids be able to have their parents be able to pick the best school in the district. But in reality, the people who are wealthy in the school district were able to pick their schools because they could afford to send them to the preschool and then didn't have to worry about the lottery that everybody else now has to worry about. So you're, well, that's you're why you need vouchers. You need vouchers so that the money that a child will receive in a traditional setting would follow them well, to their parents' choice. Well, you need well, well, that that then allows you to go to private schools. But all, yeah, absolutely, all that, but what's all wrong that with happens, that? All that happens at that point is, let's say a voucher is good for X. Well, if a private school only wants to accept certain people, they'll make their tuition X plus whatever, so that the people who can afford it will take bring their vouchers, and then the people who can't afford it won't be able to come. Or you have another situation like we had in Louisiana, where. Uh, where vouchers were be able, were able to be used at a school that used uh, the Loch Ness monster as evidence that uh, that um, evolution didn't isn't real. So you had that. Well, too. that's that, that's that's where it should be left up to the parents. Where what type of education you got? You know, you got charter schools that's, uh, whose central theme is aviation, uh, medical services. In New York, you got a basketball charter school. You know, in the Panhandle in Florida, you have two charter schools that's baseball. So that's what the parents want for their child. My my grandson attends your flagship university here in Louisiana. And when he first came in on orientation day, he had to sit down and take a, a math test to see that he had the skills in order to be able to uh, perform with what math he was going to receive in his major. And there's nothing wrong with that. Why would you put somebody in, a, in an environment whereas they can't perform? All it does is harm them, really. And really, here's the next thing. Young people nowadays, students nowadays are not being prepared at the elementary level. So when they reach the college level, especially in your historical black colleges, it takes six years, six years for students to get out of school. And in the, in the HBCUs, you only got five at any given point in time, maybe six, that have a graduation rate above 50% in six years. What did that do? Well, you got to pay 50% more on your tuition. We got to pay 50% more on your student loans, too, most likely, because the price of college has gotten 
out of whack, which means your cost of your student loan and the debt that you get into is going to be out of whack too. So there's, that's a whole other issue, a whole other thing that we talked about. It. And we've gotten way off the topic with all of this. Well, <laughs> so, you know, i tell you what, we might have got way off the top, but I bet some of the things we spoke on, Dante probably was affected by him. Not to say that I know, but he probably came from a bad education environment. He probably came from single-family home. I well, mean, a lot I, of things. And these things I, I, multiply. I don't know if it was a single-family home. Or I, I'm not sure about that. It, it, I'm not but neither. Are, but, are, I mean, but we can quote statistics. I mean, the but, odds is 70% it, it, is that it did happen. Right. Oh, but, but if we're going to quote odds on the likelihood that he's come from a broken home or the, or the likelihood that he came from poverty or the likelihood that he – he attended a school that was not adequately suiting his needs. Then we should also be able to talk about the odds when we're talking about the likelihood of being, you know, shot by cops versus not shot by cops. We should be able to talk about those odds too. And so, and look, I, we, we absolutely should spend lots of time and lots of effort and, and, and good effort talking about the things that affect uh, students. And, you know, we, we can talk about, you know, you know, you know I was the, able to, because, because we're pains in the asses, me and my wife, because we're pains in the asses and because we're adequately able to handle the system and navigate the system, we were able to get our kids into the school, not because we could afford to pay like the other people cheated to get into, because we really couldn't afford to pay for pre-K-4 at the time. Um, but we were able to navigate the, the, the one app and be able to make sure that we did what we needed to do to get our kids into the school we wanted them to be in. But there are also, you have a lot of families who... Mm-hmm. Maybe, who are already, who already whose parents were raised in the failing public school system who might not be able to handle or might have might have to work two jobs and not be able to have the time to to deal with the application process that that needs to get done and be able to do all the work and homework that needs to get done and so the the system that's supposed to not leave any child children behind ends up leaving lots of kids behind for many reasons, not only just the fact that you, 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 these children fall to the cracks and get the last choice that they got because the other parents were more adept at handling the situation and handling the application process, but uh, you also have the situation that a lot of these kids end up in you know, getting bused to schools that are like way across the city. So instead of go, instead of fixing somebody's neighborhood school and making sure that the neighborhood school has adequate teachers, adequate resources, adequate technology to be able to um, help kids and their families be have their kids be successful in school, you then have to have a kid who spends one to two hours more a day than their than their peers taking a bus to a school and then coming. So, so there's there's there's, there's, you know there's who brought that on, don't you? Uh, NAACP lawsuit that led to busing black kids out of the community. In St. Louis, we had a lady by the name of Winnie Liddell. She sued. She was saying that the bucks and other resources weren't the same as they were in white districts in other parts of the state. Now, she's from St. Louis Public School District area. But the lawsuit went about with the judge saying that, uh, well, you need to take these kids into your district, Judge Hungate. And he said, come up with a plan because you won't like the one that I come up with. That's a threat. That was silly. It was totally ignorant. And here's the question that I threw out there. Mm-hmm. You know which ethnic group, immigrant group, 
in their children have the highest educational attainment than any other in the country. Nigerians. Okay. Not Asians. Of course Mm -hmm. not. Whites, whites, Asians are past is higher than white. This is Nigeria. And I'm not saying the one that just that come here. I'm saying the one that's born here, first, second, maybe third generation. Nigeria is just as black as Wesley Snipes. You don't see them out marching and picketing. So is they not a group that you can learn from? Sit down, have questions, pound what is it that you're doing with your children in order to achieve such high economic stand I mean economic academic standards and then it equates to economic standards. Because when you look at the household income of some of them, they're greater than whites and Asians too. But how do we know that they're not protesting? How do you know that people who are of Nigerian descent are not in the protest? Because you're talking to one that's part Nigeria. Okay, I mean, well, so you're one, but you're one example of one, and maybe you don't take part. Well, of the I know a lot you... of them. Okay. <laughs> now, now, when a cop to bring us all back into policing, and, and one of the things that one of my TikTok viewers wanted to say was about how about how about we need to we need to rethink policing and rethink crime. You know, if somebody pulls you over when you're driving along the street, and if, if you're getting pulled over for a DWB, are they going to know that you're Nigerian? No, they won't. They don't know. They see you black, don't they? Right. But right. when you look at them, you don't. They they not in the jails at the rate. Come on now. You know also when it's, when it comes down to SAT test, mm-hmm. that Asian child, that Asian student is deducted 140 points. Hispanic, For why? Before they even start the test. Now this is what I I, I was able to tame this. Now I haven't verified. Hispanics are given 130. Black students are given 310 points on the SAT. You're going to have to email me that because I, I, I'm not going to accept that at face value. You're going to have to email me that if, if you'd like. <laughs> Liberaldanradio at gmail.com if you want to email me that information. I'll be more than happy to look at it. And, and, and what, is it again? what is it Liberal again? Dan, Liberaldanradio at gmail.com. All one word, liberaldanradio at gmail.com. All right, Dan. I'm not down in the children. It's society, Dan. It's the society. And uh, it's, it's the family. And see, if you don't have family, that's one thing that's hurt black society and also whites too, is that you've got this disruption in what the family is. The family cannot, you can't have 35-year-old grandparents. Come on. That ain't going to work. Grandparents bring intergenerational assets. Grandparents Grandparents bring intergenerational assets to the family. I mean, my grandparents are older, but I mean, I I had, I mean, let's see, my my mom, my mom was adopted. So it's not a good state, but her, yeah, well, you her, know, this her, her biological parents, when they got married, were like, you know, 16 and 15. So used to be you would get married real young down in certain areas where, where my, where my, where some of my biological kin come from, if you catch my drift. Um, yeah, I can detect the Cajun in your voice. Well, I, I, I actually don't have, they're, they're from Georgia. Uh, they were, they were, they were, my mom was born in Georgia originally, but she was raised in New York. Actually, the only thing I say is y'all from down here. And, and most people, when they, I, I've never been able to have people be able to peg well, my accent. You know where I'm from? Normally. 
Where? I'm from the St. Louis area. Okay. Like you gave you the hint when I talked about first. Right. Blacks here in, in Louisiana is different than those in St. Louis. In, in many ways, culturally, they are. They're more polite. Yes, sir. No, sir. Even whites. Yes, sir. No, sir. To me. So you can tell the difference. Mm. And the women cook different, too. Well, people cook different down here. I mean, things are actually well-seasoned down here. <laughs> but, but, yeah. That's the yeah. So the thing is, is this, and I'm going to let you get back to your program, and I'm going to email right. you this stuff. Teach your young people how, and when we're talking about police, how to react, interact with police. If you stop, make sure you got all your paperwork and documents in a plastic bag so that when you stop and they come, you can just hand them the bag with all the information they want. And, uh, I mean, that's it. If you carry a concealed weapon, you got to tell the officer, according to Louisiana law, that you got a weapon or you got a concealed carry. And uh, I think that a lot of the incidents that go on, that is, if, unless you got other pendings, I think everything will work out just fine. I mean, officers don't want to have no problems. They want to go home and enjoy their family also, the majority of them. But there are bad ones like we have just witnessed at the BP service station with the big guy that wanted to coerce the lieutenant into just what he experienced was the illusion. But the problem was, and to get back to the point I was going to make about that, was that you have those bad cops, but then you have a system of cops. Like, if, if you had a system of good police officers that held bad officers accountable because they were bad, and not because they were caught, but because they were bad, this officer would have been dealt with that night this officer would have been dealt with would have would have been dealt with in december he would have been fired in december or or at least suspended he would have lost his job back then but he did i agree with you but right. once again dan the uh, people are the boss police officers and other city employee are just that they employees you make the rules on what you want your police to do when they interact with citizens. Same thing with schools. In Missouri, the curriculum, the textbooks, and the teacher instruction is whatever the local district wants to be. The state board of education and the department of education cannot mandate to a district. In other words, it's you, the people's responsibility to make sure that that school district is offering and performing the way it should be. It's not the mayor. It's not President Trump. It's not, it's not Putin. It's your responsibility. Right, but it's probably more. It's probably going to be more likely to be to be uh, to be determined by the people making the campaign contributions to the folks running for the school board, and less likely to the people who are going to be. Uh, who are yeah, going to you be, know who uh, they are, don't you? The NEA and the National Education Association and the American Federation of Teachers. Or Teach for America or other conservative type groups as well that seek to change um, certain ways of education as well. So I mean, there, there's there's a combination of both on both sides of that. Uh, but but the 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 um, what was I going to say? <laughs> the um, but then you have in, in in because you have a charter school here in in, in New Orleans, the, the say of the curriculum that that's done that the laws that created the charter schools come from the state level, not the local level. So in reality, I believe I could, maybe I'm wrong on this, but I'm, I'm really sure that I'm right on this is that the all these individual little charters 
have to follow the state standards, not the not the city standards. But I, I really don't know at this point what purpose, even though all of because and in New Orleans for a while we had two things: we had the recovery school district and we had the Orleans Parish School Board, and both some of them covered some of the schools in New Orleans, some of them covered the other schools in New Orleans. Apparently, mm-hmm. all of them are now under the Orleans Parish School Board School Board umbrella. But I really don't know what responsibilities they have when it comes to that. But well, again, that, apparent, I, think, I, think, I think school choice and, and education, we spent a lot of time on it, uh, is definitely another subject that's going to need more time yeah, than it is. in the school but, or in the hour that's, uh, that's left, the half hour that's left in the current program. Yeah, um, let me get out of here. A parent should have their child assess and see exactly where they are performing. If they're not performing their fourth grade work, then there should be some issues raised. And one other thing, up here at Baton Rouge Airport, there's a middle school that started that's, uh, that's based on aviation. In other words, they're exposing young children at the middle school age to aviation and they probably carry on through high school. So that there is choice. That is a fine example of it and how it's supposed to work. I appreciate it. You know, thank you very much for calling in. I'll put you on mute. And that is a good you know, potentially, if you want to have options, and I, I don't oppose that sort of charter school when it comes to, if, if you want to have an option to have a specific type of charter school to handle a specific sort of thing. Like when I was in Baltimore, I, went, I had a magnet school, which wasn't a charter school, but it was a magnet school. It was focused on math people who had more of an interest in math and science. And our rival school, which was called City College, um, was a magnet school for the people who are more interested in, like, you know, the arts, humanities, um, you, know, you know, literary type folks or whatever you know, book nerds instead of math nerds, if you, if you will. And then there was another one that was, I think, even more um, artsy. And I forget what the other, I forget what that other one was called. But there was three magnet schools in the city of New York, in the city of Baltimore. But then you had other schools that were just general education schools. Now, do I have a problem with having a, a charter school option? Or, or, or if a parent wants to say, hey, we want to send our kids to be, you know, you know, learn how to be pilots or whatever. We think this would be a good opportunity for our kids or what have you. Sure, fine. Have those options available for parents. If there's demand for it, if there's demand in the school district to have that sort of thing available, you know, as, as like an option, then fine. Allow it to be an option. But that still shouldn't be to the detriment of everyone else. You shouldn't get to do things like charge tuition for preschool so that half of your slots in kindergarten are filled up before you even draw one name out of the one app lottery system that they have. Uh, they have a, they have a charter school system, charter school that they want to form or that they're making. I don't know if it's made yet already or not because of COVID, but um, it's a school that was done in concert with uh, the university of new Orleans. And also another local charter school is called Ben Franklin oh, down here. If you have those two, um, those two schools, you know, th- those two, those two places where people work, like if, if you're part of the faculty or staff at, the, at either the University of New Orleans or Ben Franklin, your children get first crack at going to this new school that's created. So basically, they're creating a new school that's specifically for employees of these people, but yet it's still a public school, but yet it still gets public funding, and people from the rest of the city don't get equal say of whether or not they should be able to come into that school because it's, it's specifically made for those people. 
So they get to say, okay, well, we're now going to get to hire. We're going to try and hire the people that we want, and therefore and nobody else is going to get this opportunity, which completely blows out of the water the, the things that, oh, man, we had flycatch in here for a while, and I didn't even catch that we had flycatch in the chat. <sighs> anyway, man, uh, flycatch does not disappoint in, the, in that he is very disappointing in what he says. Ugh. Um, a, referring to black people as blacks. B, calling, you know, um, saying that black culture is broken. Um, Biden is flooding black communities with illegal aliens. Yeah, where's the outcry from these so-called black... Ugh. I'm, I'm usually not surprised when, when Flycatch comes in the chat and then leaves again. <laughs> usually it doesn't say anything. This time he said a lot and I, did, and I missed it. Um, but But back to the topic at hand, which is not the topic of school choice and everything, but I mean, it could have a effect on the whole thing, but it, in reality, you know, at the end of the day, we need to rethink policing and crime. A lot of times people say defund the police. Um, and then when they say defund the police, that doesn't mean take away all the funds from the police and don't pay them. It means take away the things that you want to pay them that, that you're paying them to do that. They, that maybe other people should do. Like police aren't social workers. Don't you know? Either train them and pay them as social workers, or give the funds that for their social work work that they're doing as non-licensed social workers and allow the social workers to handle it. That sort of thing. But there's also we should also we should also be after rethinking police. We should also be rethinking crime. In that we need to make sure that um, you know maybe certain things that are that are that are listed as crimes shouldn't be. Like I, I, I unmuted our friend from California as well. I saw that the light had went on and off, and we were I was having such a good conversation with the other gentleman, uh, and we're apparently going to have another three-hour show today. Um, but the, you know, you know, but as we discussed with our friend from uh, California, you know, these tinted window laws are, you know, not something. It's an overreach. It's it's government overreach. It's something that maybe shouldn't be a crime that we've made into crimes for whatever reasons and whatever justifications we can have. It's, it's somewhere where I would like to think that people who are liberal and people who are conservative should be able to come together on, you know, because there are a lot of these things that are listed as crimes. And from a conservative standpoint, you know, you would, you should be able to say that's government overreach, that's government doing too much. And from a liberal, you know, if you're coming from the liberal side of that, 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 that's just another way to keep people incarcerated that, that, you know, they want to keep incarcerated. That those are things that you want to be able to, that you, you know, they're, they're stopping, they're, they're punishing people and, and these, these crimes that they have there oftentimes will affect certain groups disproportionately, either in practice because that's how they're written in generally, or just in how they're enforced, because a lot of times you can enforce rules in a way that's different. You know, you can enforce the rules on one group other than other groups. Like how we used to have, um, you know, we had the, you could have whatever conspiracy theories that you want to have on how crack cocaine got flooded into the black communities, whether it was the CIA or whatever, uh, during the 80s or whenever that happened. You know, there's lots of arguments that could be made as to why it happened, but it did happen and it's cocaine. It's just another form of cocaine, yet, Black people who were more likely to be doing crack than cocaine, which was more seen as a white collar crime, you know, those people were getting harsher, were, were more likely to be arrested for it, more likely to be convicted of it, and more likely to be serving a longer jail sentence because of it. So 
so you know a lot of the that's a lot of the ways that you know we've managed to harm the black communities a lot of people say well what's happened to the black family you know and and they'll blame policies that i don't think should be blamed for it like policies that are meant to help people who are living in poverty um to try and elevate themselves out of poverty and there's plenty wrong with those policies as well not because that they not because they exist but because those and you can chime in whenever whenever you want to you, you can interrupt me if you have a point that you want to make but the um you know one of the things the biggest problems that i have with these funding formulas for for all of these um for all the for benefits that you might receive if you're lower income and you're getting government assistance is you should never have a situation where a dollar worth of work or dollar worth of pay causes you to lose a dollar or more of benefits i.e there should never be a situation where you have to make the decision of that earning that extra dollar is going to put you in a worse off financial situation. A lot of that happened with the uh, unemployment during the pandemic is that you had a situation where, you know, you, you had, um, if in Louisiana specifically, I can't speak to how other states do it, but in Louisiana, the maximum amount of unemployment that you can get is $250 a week. So if you earn I think they, they, the, the first 50 of income that you earn doesn't count against you. So you could earn, if I'm at 200, if I make $299 worth of income, I get $1 worth of unemployment because, because that's how, that's how the formula works. Now, if I, as long as I got $1 of unemployment payments from the state of Louisiana, I also would qualify for the pandemic unemployment. So if I went from $299 to $300 in pay in a particular week, that $1 cost me 400 bucks or 300 bucks or whatever was whatever the pandemic unemployment addition was. So $1 of pay would cost me 300 bucks. Who's going to who's going to take who's going to make the decision to work for that 300th dollar? It's stupid, which tells me that the funding formula is stupid, which then so, – so instead you need to fix the funding formulas in such a way so that there's never a situation that would allow somebody to make, more, make less money by earning more money. It should always be we're going to help you earn more money and get you to the point where you're earning enough money to where you don't have to accept any government benefits. And there's, you know, you're going to have your conspiracy theories that are going to say, well, that's exactly what they want. They want you to be, you know, on the government dole, so therefore they're going to have them on the hook because that's how they get you. That's a typical conservative mantra that opposes things like, you know, welfare and Medicaid and food stamps, et cetera. But at the end of the day, you know, these, these, these systems are there. So it's unemployment. Thank unemployment you. is what? Yes. We only it for people who um, are able-bodied and can work, as far as that goes. But the safety net is there, and that's not opposed, but there has to be oversight and because there's a lot of fraud that goes on. But other than that, yeah, I mean, it's supposed to be a safety net for people who need it, um, whether they're permanently disabled or, um, you know, got a rotten... Um, Know, whatever, and lost their job, 
were fired or whatever for unjust reasons or this or that or um, whatever situation. It's, just, it's supposed to be a safety net. And um, we didn't have a problem with that, helping people out. Everybody needs help every once in a while. But I agree with you, and many Republicans do agree also um, about just how things are calculated because it works that way with welfare as well. Um, you know, you can't earn over a certain amount of money because they'll deduct from you. So you're actually incentivized not to work more than 20 hours or 15 hours or whatever it is that they have at the uh, minimum before, whoops, before, um, before they take money away. And that's good, and, 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 and I'm glad that you're saying that. But I, I, I happen to hear, I, I hear from a lot of people, especially on the one radio show that I sometimes listen to in the morning, where where it, it's more of a, you know, it, it, it's more of a hardcore, you know, message of, you know, we shouldn't be doing things, in, or the fact that these programs exist cause people to 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 not want to to not want to do anything and 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 make them lazy. And look. Again, yeah, I agree with you in that, as I said, and we agree, there should not be a formula out there that, that makes it that you have to make the decision, am I going to earn one buck more and then lose money? You know, because then, that, 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 then that's what causes people to make those decisions, not necessarily the programs in and of itself. But my concern with what happens with, um, you know, people want to talk about, you know, you know the, the families that are, that are poor um, and a lot of, you know, I, I don't understand why my last caller doesn't have a, the first person who I've ever spoken to who was like, redlining is fine. I like redlining. I'm like, wow. What, what, how, because redlining basically meant we're not going to loan to these people in these areas or to, to make houses in these areas, regardless of how much their, their money they could afford. They just weren't going to allow those areas to get built up. That's that. That's what redlining did. It didn't say, you know, it didn't say there wasn't people saying we're not going to pay money to these people because they live in those areas. It's we're not going to invest in these areas regardless of their ability to pay. We're going to have a red line there. Don't loan to people on in those areas, which then further perpetuates poverty. When you further perpetuate poverty, you further perpetuate crime. When you and then and then you have a self a cycle where you know, okay, so now these poor, you have more more poor people, so you have more people struggling to live, so you have more people who are going to feel that they have to resort to crime to get by, which then causes more people to be arrested and convicted, which then breaks up more families. And then lather, rinse, repeat, you wind up having these cycles that have to be broken. And another cycle that has to be broken, in my opinion, is the, the, the cycles that are going on with modern day policing, because if, if we're not being preventive, you know, you, you, you cure more with a, an ounce of treatment is better than the pound of, of the cure or whatever, or whatever it is. An ounce of prevention is worth more than a pound of cure. So if you're able to prevent something from happening in the first place, you're, you're less likely to have to deal with the bad repercussions later. So you, if you're able to invest in communities and, and, and eliminate generational, generational poverty and, and do programs that help build up these communities out of out of the structurally unsound bases that they exist on and help them you know be productive be you know 
you know, reduce the crime in those areas, then you don't need as many police in the first place because you've made it so that less people are now required, less people are opting to, to take part in crime because they don't feel the desperation that they have to take part in crime, in which case, so that's, that's part of what, what defunding the police does is that it is that you're by, def, by making sure, by investing those monies in areas that would prevent crime to the first place, you then enable it so that you don't need as much policing to be done in the first place. But you also need to rethink policing in general. We need to rethink training. We need to rethink uh, clearly whatever's being done. Because I, I, I must have been in a weird police department when I went and I went to the Citizens Police Academy and the police department that it happened in where I sat down and I listened to those police officers and I heard not only what the force escalation procedures were, I heard how much it meant to those police officers. Those police officers, they weren't, I mean, they're police officers. They're not actors. I didn't, I didn't sit there and believe, you know, if, if, if they were lying, they should have changed careers to be actors because they were really good actors. I don't believe that they were actors. I believe that these police officers legitimately bought into the idea that these force escalation procedures are things that are, are important in their service to the community. But what we're seeing on TV, what we're seeing what going on in all of these cases is that maybe, maybe that police department is the exception and not the rule. Maybe that police department was a good police department in that they, in that they were practicing what they preached and maybe they were willing to, uh, you know, take into consideration the effects that their actions have on their, on their communities. Maybe that's the case. And maybe, and maybe it's just, I got, I got lucky in that police Academy that I got to see that from them. And so now I'm being, I'm held holding other police departments to a higher standard, but, but other people have said from other areas that there are supposed to be these force escalation procedures. It just doesn't seem like these other police officers, these other police departments are willing to, are wanting to buy into that, are wanting to understand that, hey, this is how we prevent bad actions from happening. This is how we gain trust in the community. This is how, you know, our last caller talked about how, you know, children should be able to, should be trained, should be taught to trust police officers so that they can be able to go with it. Well, in order for me to be able to trust you, in order for me to be able to train my kids to trust somebody and to say that, hey, you can trust this person, that person has a responsibility to act in a trustworthy way. That person that goes has both ways, though, Dan. I'm sorry, okay. but that goes both ways. You know, you have an officer who, you know, does a regular traffic stop or so he thought until – until um, he wasn't going home that night, you know, and because there are things that happen like that. So it's a two-way street. So you've got jittery officers, and usually the ones that have been on the force a long time are the ones that are the most jittery because they've seen a lot and they've lost people as far as, you know, on the force or whatever because of traffic stops like that. And here's, so here's the, here's and this set aside just a second for a moment for, the, uh, the other way around as far as the officer shooting an unarmed um, person. We're setting that just aside. We're just looking from the officer's point of view. Um, 
They, you know, they don't want to go and have to kill anybody. They don't want to, but they're worried. You know, they make a traffic stop, stop at that night. The area that they work in, they know things happen. And so, you know, they take a risk every time they make that traffic stop. And so, and so does the person in the car. So it's a two-way street. But here's the thing is that the officer, the officer is being paid to be a professional as making the decision to serve in that role. The person who's getting pulled over does not choose. It's not, you, you, if, if they were speeding, maybe they chose to be in that role. But in, in situations where like, it's just a simple DWB, like a driving while black, you know, then it, it, it's not. But for the example of, of the that we're talking about in this episode, Lieutenant Nazario, he didn't know what was going on. He didn't make a choice to get pulled over. I mean, he chose to eventually pull his car over, but he didn't make the choice. He didn't know why he was getting pulled over. There, there was no, there was no consent in the activity that was done. Like he, he was, he was not in a situation where he was like, okay, I'm going to do this, and I know by doing this, I'm risking getting pulled over. He didn't think he was doing anything wrong, and then still got pulled over. So that's that's the thing is that is that he is even though he is a military person. He is not, his, it's not his job as the person being pulled over to be trained on whether or how to escalate the force properly. It is the job and responsibility of the police officer to be the one who is trained to know when to escalate, when not to escalate, to know when to use okay, force. Okay, so and let's what just force. say, which is, that happened, an officer made a regular traffic stop. It wasn't a driving well black thing. Just doing his job, the person was speeding, so they got pulled over. Okay, so he walks up to the car being Mr. Professional. Well, the person that's sitting in the seat, doesn't even matter what color they are, is upset because they had a bad day, they're violent just by nature, and so the officer asks to see their license or insurance, and the guy says, fuck you, and he blows him away. It happens. Okay, it happens. happens. But... That, that doesn't mean that the, that the next officer he signs up to work for the police op, for the police force, but he didn't sign up to walk into being killed. So you're asking trust on a one-way street there. I, I'm asking that if, if police officers want to be the people that people want that people trust. Now, that to me, the person who lost his job didn't seem like he wanted to be the person to be trusted. He seemed like he wanted to be the person that was feared. He wanted to be feared for the power that he's able to show over some people. And that's the thing is that a lot of there are there are a lot of people who are police officers who want to have that power, who want to be feared, that's, who want. You're only to looking at those though, but there but, are but, others. I'm looking at those, and then I'm also looking at those the, who are the people who. I'm also looking at those who are the people who are allowing those people to continue to exist in police departments instead of the instead of. Instead of you know they have that thin blue line, you know everybody was surprised during the Floyd trial, during the Floyd or the Derek Chauvin trial about the death of George Floyd, that you had police officers coming across and saying yes, what he did was wrong, because everyone's like what that doesn't happen, that doesn't happen to them. Typically they, they circle the wagons and they protect their own. So so it's not yeah, just the people but- who are choosing to be bad, it's the people who are choosing to protect the bad people. Who then also are bad? Who then also make it so that but now parents, you're going off oh, track because that's not what I was talking about. I was just talking. You, we were talking about trust. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> roll back. I'm gonna roll back to that. Where where you have to? I'll circle back to use uh, sacky terminology. Um, the uh, <laughs> the uh, 
you get and so you have that traffic stop and so you say have you have the officer who walks up to the vehicle and you have you know do you believe do you believe that that an officer like this officer here was clearly a, to the dante wright case she walked up to the dante wright thing she clearly was afraid right she was fearful then to the point where some force had to be used now, if you believe that it was simply a mistake that she that, that she really, 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 really meant to use her taser, and in the heat of the moment, in her fear, she pulled the, from the wrong she pulled from the the right instead of from the left, which is I think the location of where the gun is supposed to be versus the taser. Um, then why was she afraid? Was she afraid because because of you know, the fact that you look at the skirmish in the video, you see she almost could have shot her partner a couple of times while he was working around trying to get control of the guy. And she could have shot him a couple of times in between there easily. So she was in fear, you know, as far as what do I do as far but she didn't need to be. She doesn't belong on the force. And officers that don't have any training with firearms do not belong out on duty. But, so that, but not only did she have training, she was a trainer. She was somebody who trained others. And that's, that was not part with of firearms, her job. But in the police department, they but don't training, have official tra- police tra- training. But, but I think she trained police officers on, on, on these measures. Like she, she was a tra- part of training of the police should include part on, on how to deescalate, mm-hmm. on how to deal with, on how to use force and what force to use on how to, how to deal with certain situations in that. And so one of the mm-hmm. points that um, the first Patreon, Liberal Day and Radio, uh, Dex Demonox, made the point of saying was, that, um, was it that he was willing to believe that it was a legitimate mistake, that, that she probably did mean to pull the taser. But, the, but what caused her to be so afraid was probably the fact that the, that the one thing that made her more afraid than anything else was his skin color. And you're going to say no. And, you, and you're going to disagree because you've disagreed with me in the past on that, 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 that people don't have this inherent bias against black people. Um, yeah. I don't know why they would. I live in California. Nobody has any problems here. <laughs> I mean, Not where I, live. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I consider myself to be privileged in, in the fact that where I was, when I was raised, uh, I was the only white kid on my block. I wasn't raised to, to fear black people, but I think there are a lot of people who, who have this inherent fear of black and if you don't have a, if you if you're if you're less likely to clutch on to whatever you're holding if you're not less likely to clutch on to something you're holding if a white person passes you than if a black person passes you if 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 you if you either clutch equally or don't clutch at all you know if 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 you treat if if you legitimately have don't have that gut reaction around that then, then that's good for you and it, it's great for you it, it, it's wonderful to hear more people are but not you can't say a majority way. of people without without you know any basis for that. You're you're speculating. Now I am Hispanic. I'm Latina. I have brown skin. You can look me up on Facebook if you like. Going mm-hmm. to a predominantly white school in the area that I lived in. You know I got called a coconut a lot. There weren't very many of us that went to that school. <laughs> I'm but, familiar. Um, I'm familiar with the idea. It wasn't a problem. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't a problem. I mean. You know, it was only a problem if I made it a problem, basically. But you get along with everybody, and, yeah, you're going to have those that, that do call you the coconut, you know, the few. But, um, oh, well. 
I wasn't going to let them get in my way of doing anything. You know, I played sports and and um, and did well. I was with the Civil Air Patrol. I, did, 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 I lived my life. I did what I did. And that's, you know, again, predominantly white. So I, that means I drove around school because I got my driver's license at 16, got a job, you know, did everything I guess any 16-year-old would do. And when I got pulled over, even now I, when I get pulled over, I get scared just because I know that if I get an officer that's having a maybe having a bad day or a power trip, um, he could flip my life upside down. Not because I'm brown, but just because he has that authority. <laughs> and, right. Uh, but but, yeah, he, but he, do you do you think that I mean? Did you, so you haven't had the circumstance when you've been pulled over where you felt that. You know, maybe you were pulled over specifically because your skin was darker or that or or that you had a rougher time with this particular officer specifically because your skin is darker. And we have three minutes left in the show with a hard end. So oh. <laughs> uh, no, actually, I never felt that way. You know, I was legitimately pulled over for whatever bad tags one time, um, not making a stop. And I got a ticket, signed it and was on my way. And that's the God's honest truth. And and that's that. I mean, not because of my skin, but because, you know, what I was doing or what the circumstances were, were caused him to pull me over, but not because of my skin color. In fact, but, uh, I usually get uh, asked, oh, because you're a woman. <laughs> you got off easy. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what bringing anyway. a boy said in the chat, that women have an easier opportunity <laughs> getting away with it. Than men. And, and it might be, there might be some components there because, if, you know, there, there's maybe may some Sometimes benevolent sexism is what sometimes people refer to it to is that is that they do things, you know, to benefit women, you know, because they're sexist, but it helps it helps the women out. And, and then that doesn't oh, necessarily yeah. make it good that they're doing it. But use it or lose it. Thanks for taking my call. I, I appreciate it. Thank you for so much. And the only <laughs> thing I would just add to that would be that. You know, that just because, you know, you might have had these certain life experiences. A lot of people do like to call in and bring up their anecdotal experiences as to what happened to them. And, and, and they're valid. It's valid that you've lived your life and your life experiences are valid. And I'm not going to discount those in any way. I'm just saying that, you know, you have there. I believe that there are clear situations, clear examples when things that are happening, especially with this particular circumstance with the, with the shooting of Dante Wright, that, that I believe that this individual was afraid and, and the reason of the fear was because of an inherent racial bias and because his, the dark skin is viewed as being a threat. And that, I think that's been the case. And that's the case. I think that's the case why many, why, why you see the disparities in the shooting of unarmed black men versus white men, why you see the disparity, racial disparities in, in policing overall is because part, we have police departments that, are, that inherently treat uh, black people as being more scary, more violent, more of a risk towards the health of other people. And we'll have to continue this discussion on the, the, a future episode of Liberal Dan Radio because we are now at the end. So for anybody who listened to the three-hour show, a, a three-hour show, thank you very much. Um, and I'm not breaking out $50 to pay a ticket, bringing a boy. Stop it. <laughs> anyway, thank you for bringing a boy. For everybody else who joined into the show, for the callers, I do appreciate it. I will be back next Wednesday, 8 p.m. Central, blogtalkradio.com, plus Liberal Dan. You can follow me at liberalfan.com, at liberalfanradio, on Twitter, at liberalfan, facebook.com, at liberalfan, liberalfan radio, on TikTok as well. So next week, Dan Zimmerman with Liberalfan Radio, talk to the left, that's right.